Hello everyone, and welcome to This Nintendo Life, episode 231! My name is NBZ, and um, I'm an idiot, uh, I'm very stupid, uh, and, you know, I've done something that I should be very ashamed of, but I kept doing it for a while, and now it has bit me in the arse. Okay, so Bally, here's the thing. So, um... This is gonna be a long list of things. <laughs> my Xbox Series X controller, right, okay? Um, it's a, it's a red one with a white bottom, right? And yes. here's the thing, when you have a white bottom of a controller, uh. it gets dirty very easily, okay? Lots of dirt on it, and you look at the back, and you're like, oh, that's icky, I want to get rid of that, right? So it's a smart person, what they would do, they'd probably get, like, a cloth or something, and, like, dat- put some wetness on it. You should buy a pack of wet wipes. We have plenty for yeah. Bally Jr. You need well, of course, yes. Uh, unfortunately, not having a child, I don't have many wet wipes around, but maybe I should... Uh... <laughs> They're available to non-children uh, yeah, people. That's true. <laughs> Non-children owners? Uh, yeah. Um, uh, I don't, but uh, maybe I should go buy some. Um, so, anyway, this is what I've been doing over the past year, Bally, is I'm like, hmm, okay, that's a bit dirty. Let's go to the sink. Uh, so I go to the oh sink my. and I like I just put it on like very lightly and then I just like put the, the, the angle, the kind of like corner of the controller under the sink and I just like lightly dab it and just like scrub it a bit and that sort of stuff. And it's been fine. I've had no issue. I'm like, this is a great solution. I don't need to go get papers or nothing. Um, so I just do that. And... Um, and so, like, uh, over this weekend, or, like, just before, like, on, actually, last week, I was like, okay, I was playing um, Tiny King, which we're going to talk about on the show, and uh, I was like, oh, it's a bit dirty, let's let's go clean it, and um, and I did, I was like, fine, great, and then I, I started playing Tiny King again, and, um, and and my character just starts, like, moving in a direction without the analog stick moving, I'm like, what, what's going on, this is, it must be a bug or something, so I'm like, oh, let's restart the game, it's fine, and then it kind of stopped for a while, and then, like, every now and again, and I was be in the menus and be like, oh, why is it going, like, weirdly up and down, and I was like, alright, whatever, I'll forget about that, and then I kind of forgot about it, I was like, oh, it must be some weird bug in Tiny King, I don't know what's going on, and then the uh, next day, I was playing Yakuza Like a Dragon, and I was like, alright, um, let's jump into this, and, you know, it'd been fine, and I, I came back to it, and I was, I started running in a direction, and I was like, why is Ichiban not running at his full speed? Uh, and he, like, I was holding the analog stick all the way forward, and he was doing a light jog. And I was like, I'm pressing A, and then I, like, started try- trying to do it towards the camera. And when I did it towards the camera, he would start running towards the camera. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Have I got some weird bug in this game where, like, Ichiban only jogs when he's going forward and runs when he's towards the camera? I was like, what the fuck is happening? Uh, and then it occurred to me, Bally, it, it came back into my brain that um, I had washed my controller uh, lightly, of course, but it had seemingly uh, got a bit of water into where the analog stick is. Um, so, uh, so it had water damage. And I was like, well okay, I don't know if I can fix this. I looked up online, how do you fix water damage? And people were, like, taking apart their controller. I was like, well, I can't fucking do that. I know. This is, and these loads of solutions are always just, like, take your controller apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, I was like, I would try the I would try the toothbrush around the analog stick. Well, so I did. I got my um, you know, I've got compressed air that I use to c- clean my PC. So I just yeah. started like spraying that inside it. I, I basically I left it in the cupboard near the boiler, like wrapped up in my trousers for a, a night to see if that would like help. I don't think anything's helped. Up in your trousers, you stick it in a bag of rice. Yeah, I know, but the rice then the what if the rice gets inside the control? Yeah. You know, it's just a bit of a pain. So um, so yeah, uh, I I basically decided that it, uh, I'm unusable it might come back to life who knows but I then ordered a new controller so I ordered a shock blue controller Bally okay and this controller came in the post unboxed it started playing tinykin with it and what the fuck is wrong with this controller the uh, the right button the RB button has like and this is a very me thing because it's like I think regular people would notice this but it's just like if you hold it down and then slightly unhold it 
it basically like the stickiness it feels like there's a bit of stickiness to it basically and same with like the right shoulder button as well is it the rb or the rt the so the front one is the one where you like you should have a nice snappy click to it but this one had like a bit of a softer click to it so if i held it down and then like slightly removed pressure Uh i i've got a slightly sticky right trigger so it's fine for the first you know 20 minutes but then Mm -hmm. for a driving game for example after a little while it can yeah. get it can get a tiny bit sticky and uh, yeah okay it's... is that something you've had since the beginning or is it like something that's happened over time uh, it happened very quickly i don't think it okay. was right at the beginning all right um, i think it might have been exacerbated by like forza and stuff yeah. but well anyway tinykin was a great game to be playing for it because you you have the soap that you slide on and so you're having to hold that and so like i find myself i'm holding it and then suddenly he will just stop he will just like get off of it and then get back on again i'm like this is a brand new controller what the fuck dude so uh i have now boxed that back up sent it back to shop two and i'm awaiting a third controller so this is my controller situation for the past week or so uh, and it has meant that i uh i have i've basically been forced to use my dual sense on my pc you tried the toothbrush trick on the right bumper though no i didn't Um, honestly like i've i've had real success with my wearing old analog stick on my pro controller and also i had a sticky uh, a sticky button on my old new three old new 3ds um <laughs> thanks, <Nintendo. laughs> thanks <Nintendo. laughs> um and it really fixed the trigger like it really made it oh. unsticky so yeah well the thing is this was a brand new out the box controller so i was like this is bullshit i should yeah. just get a new one basically and i'm not gonna it's not gonna cost me anything so i might as well just do it and get an actual good controller so yeah um i've had a bit of a controller situation the last week and it's not fun but what are you gonna do sometimes the bad luck strikes and you're like well you know i broke one and then the other one came and it already was kind of broken so let's get a third one and see if third time's yeah. a charm um so hopefully that comes through but yeah as i was saying um i've, I've now been using my dual sense on my pc instead uh, and let me tell you it's reminded me how much i fucking hate the dual sense it's the most uncomfortable controller of all time oh my god uh, the features on that thing top tier probably the best features in a controller the comfortability of that controller for my small ass hands fucking sucks i know Bally, you have bigger hands than me so it's like a perfect perfect controller for you but um i do i'm okay with it but i i am shocked that they went like up in size from the uh not dual sense dual shock dual shock um, 4 yeah it's so wide why is it so wide yeah, it's oh really big yeah i've got the war to come out to enjoy that so. yeah i guess well, i guess i'm gonna have to get used to it for another 30 40 hours when that comes out but anyway Hello, welcome to this Nintendo show uh, where we'll talk about Nintendo controllers and how they're always perfect and they never die, right? Joy Cons, we love them. Anyway, some Bally Junior wet wipes. That's what. Yeah, totally. Uh, Bally, when do you predict that your son is going to um, break one of your controllers? How oh, long will that God. take? Um, soon. Like, yeah. It's going to be soon. Yeah. yeah. Or it's going he's going to leave it so sticky I won't want to use it anymore uh-huh. or do something like that to I reckon I've got a year and a half in the bag. Yeah, that's, I that's think so. Best. I think, you know, it'll probably happen at some point. Um so you'll you'll feel the yeah. joy as well of yeah. getting new controllers, but um in any case, uh we've got video games to talk about on the show. Bally John Telefine folks, what today's podcast is going to yes. be about? Uh first segment we're going to talk about the games that we have been playing. For the second segment we've got some of your emails and then for the third segment we're going to have a little look back at our game of the year lists from 2014, which is actually the first year we kind of properly did it. Although the podcast did start in 2013. 2014 yeah. was like right, we've been going a whole year. We're going to actually do a, a game of the year list for 2014 and 
yeah, some interesting lists. People might think, 2014, what was Nintendo even doing back then? And yep, you'd be right to ask that question. So yeah. we're going to jump to that. Absolutely. Uh, so uh, let's get into the video games, what we've been playing, and uh, the, uh, the the big one, the main one, which people have continued to play and are playing more this weekend because the Splatfest is happening, is Splatoon 3. Uh, and Bally and I have both finished the single-player campaign for Splatoon mm. 3. Um, I actually went back and listened to us talking about the single player for splatoon 2 just to refresh myself because i was like i remember coming out that thing not being very happy right like i and i think that's been my prevailing opinion since splatoon 2 is like the the single player was frustrating uh it had like annoyances to it i just found it like constantly moments of you know there were those moments remember those levels with the hook shot thing where you would like shoot this thing and it would hook shot you midair and you have to like readjust your aim midair and then you would like just fall in a pit if you f- fucked it up like, mm. like the the reset on that like having to go back to the start of the level it was just like a lot of frustration basically i did um, love the final boss in Splatoon 2 i thought it was sure. very impressive it was quite yeah. a gauntlet it felt like it's a much longer final boss than i feel like three was and it was i think it was also a lot tougher yes exactly um so so yeah i i kind of came into splatoon 3 being pretty negative like uh, in terms of like wanting to play the single player i was like i guess i'll go through it and just if i have to but it doesn't seem like they've changed much and everyone was saying it's longer than the second game as yeah. well so, okay here yeah. we go and and also after you know last podcast we discovered that there was lives and stuff like that and and i was like well this kind of sucks it feels like they're just retreading the same ground it's the same thing um i'm here to tell you that i was absolutely fucking wrong splatoon 3 has by far the best single player of the entire series uh and honestly like one of the best single player campaigns that i've played from nintendo in a while um i think Mm. that it it has a lot of variety um like the challenge levels that they mix in with the regular levels are super interesting and yeah. very fun to pull off and like do all these interesting challenges they build specifically around each super power up each like sub power um like different weapons that you get to choose which ones you use um and the the length of these levels as well is just like it feels so bite-sized uh you know like those regular levels often felt like you're going through checkpoint after checkpoint after checkpoint and they would never end and a lot of these just feel super well paced like just like splatoon matches are only three minutes and you kind of like get in there get out it feels like a lot of these levels are like that as well and there are an abundance of levels across each island so like um obviously the the start of the game is slightly different because you you start in this like separate area and then you go through those kind of regular tutorial levels and you fight that big boss at the end and that's all good and then everything kind of changes when you get underground and you get to that big kind of like set of islands and you have the six mm. islands to go through and you have all the um it's a really nice looking area like it's a good yes. choice of, for what they've gone for yeah it's all kind of like white and kind of snowy almost but you have the purple goo just like prevalent everywhere um and the kind of the hub areas themselves also hide a lot of secrets so there's this there's this real satisfaction to getting a bunch of orbs by completing levels using those to clear out the goo which you know of course classic me i i wanted to clear out all the goo on all the islands right like um the the one thing that nintendo needed to do to get splatoon to be something i liked was to make me clean things up and classic is what they did um and and then you like find these little parts in the ground your little buddy character can go around and find things as well he'll like alert you if he's found a hidden thing in the ground you find like pieces of lore you find like um a bunch of other uh you know extra bonus orbs like those types 
types of things you you can explore and they're little mini challenges within the hubs themselves like the balloon challenges where they're very much like speed based and you have to kind of navigate all the way around uh one of those areas in order to complete the balloon challenges like there's a lot of stuff that they kind of like pack in to just the overworld hub areas and there's nothing like the satisfaction of like popping open a level uh for the first time mm. like the sound Such design good sound design so like the tinniness satisfying. of like like as you're hitting the cap to like pop it yeah. off it's always satisfying when you come across those so i found myself like going across and um you know just opening up all the levels and then having those teleport points that you can kind of just jump to them whenever you want when you're ready to go through the levels and um and yeah, I, I found it exceptionally well-designed and incredibly fun and just a lot of variety and just well-paced throughout. Mm. Um, yeah, how, how did you feel overall about this campaign, Valley? I was obviously hotter on the first two games, single-player campaigns. Mm-hmm. I was really happy that people were saying some really nice things about this one. I was excited to try it. Um, so yeah, I was down in the Peak District and I had, I had my slots when I was looking after Valley Junior where I had time and space to play this and managed to wrap up the whole campaign in like i don't know six days or something and yeah i'm really really impressed like i agree that this is like some of the freshest nintendo style design we've seen in a long time like i wouldn't put it in the echelons of luigi's mansion three yeah or not quite mario that. odyssey but it's certainly just like a little rung below that and it's it, but it's really really satisfying and i think yeah. there's a lot of it's almost treating these little test areas almost like shrines from you know breath of the wild yeah totally it's really taking like not just main weapons but also sub weapons and on top of sub weapons it's also taking like um special weapons mm-hmm. and then designing entire levels around the use of those weapons because the other two games really didn't do that much at all and i think that with this game having so many interesting cool sub and special weapons not just regular weapons like i think that they've really utilized some really cool things you can do like for example um i had like the 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 curling stone that you like throw and the whole level is just based on the curling stone and then they make the they made this rule that oh yeah and if you touch any like purple gloop like the enemy gloop um you restart level like you you die and i was like wow crap okay so i have to like perfectly throw these curling stones like through these like little mini maze puzzles and then follow the ink around and and complete it and that's just one example but there are like 30 40 unique very well designed interesting uses of specific weapons yes uh, that are so bite-sized they they rarely return like these ideas and i think that's always a good strength in a nintendo game where they Mm -hmm. take an idea do something cool with it and they don't feel the need to constantly go back to it and yeah those levels in particular are really cool now there are some like more standardized levels where it's like get right. from point a to b and we're gonna scatter a few enemies and maybe there's a bit of verticality in the level or whatever and so there's definitely weaker levels but obviously there's weaker but there's, there's loads of weaker shrines in zelda as well yeah like, it's not like this consistency necessarily but and i think that was my problem with splatoon 2 is that those levels you're describing those just kind of like go through and kill the enemy levels where they felt like the vast majority yes absolutely it felt like splatoon 2 just did those and not really anything else like 80 over 80 percent yeah. it had a few interesting levels but the second yeah. you did one of those you're like oh that was really fun now i have to do like five more of the less fun ones whereas this game it's a lot more like, oh, what am I going to do next? What's it going to be? Um, mm-hmm. And I think the level of difficulty, maybe I've gotten a bit better at Splatoon, to be fair, but I think the level of difficulty as well on these, um, I was going to say shrines, on these levels um, is really, really like 
perfect for my personal ability level. I'm like, I, I was dying a little bit. There were some tough ones. Um, yeah, but here's the thing, right? And this is a crucial thing for me that really changed my attitude towards dying in these stages is that if you die, you can just pay some orbs yeah. and stay at the checkpoint yeah, that you're at. Yeah. Now, obviously, it would be better if they just made you go back to the checkpoint and didn't have any lives. Of course, that is the optimal yes. solution. But if they are going to want to still have lives and want a way around it, this is definitely the best way to do it. It's like it's like one team said, we've got to have lives, and the other team said, well, actually, you could just not have lives, and they've kind of reached this hybrid in the middle. <laughs> Much yeah. more close to the not have lives system, I guess. Because, yeah, I, I agree. It, it does doesn't matter and yes there are some levels at the end near the end where they're a bit cheeky and they basically don't have checkpoints in the level and the level is very much like a a challenge level where it's like right, right you need to get from like, there's one where you're grinding a really that's the long exact time. one i was thinking right. about where you have to like shoot all the boxes in a row and not miss any single box and like get right to the end without dying essentially and, yeah i swear like the last box on that before getting to the thing that they're in like a really annoying place and it oh, definitely yeah. took me a few times but mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll give them a pass you know that's like a, a handful of levels and you know i did enjoy the challenge it's yes it's points in that splatoon 2 campaign where it was like that level of challenge but relentlessly level on level on level near the yes. near the later levels right. so to do that was really satisfying here's here's a pet peeve i have with the whole of splatoon okay and, and it's more it's more prominent in this in the single player campaign and the other games do it, and a lot of nintendo games do this it's not just splatoon but yeah I, I hate having uh, like text boxes to read while I'm doing something action based. Right. And yes. Th- th- it's, Splatoon three is quite chatty. Like, there's quite a lot of, oh, this is what you need to, do. and you might be facing a boss, and it's giving you tips on how to beat the boss mm-hmm. mid boss fight right, yes. while you're trying to like survive, and it's just like, right, can we just do some voice acting, please, or can you just like, <laughs> yeah space this out properly so that i can read the thing and then do the thing i don't want to read the thing and do the thing at the same time or just give me a bit of voice act it's just really it's such a simple thing but i constantly just felt frustrated by um on certain levels where the game's trying to give you like a little a little taster of advice because it did it on lots of boss fights but it also did it on lots of more uh tricky levels and it's just it really it's not a big this is a very small issue in the grand scheme of things sure just yeah a, a bit annoying no i totally get that and i i think it's always it's always tricky like there's uh, in yakuza like a dragon there's a system where they will have conversations while they're walking and obviously i'm playing in japanese and so it's popping up on like the left hand side of the screen but i'm also running around the city trying to mm. not get into fights at yeah. the same time and it's like that balance of well i guess i'll just stand in the corner and just read this because otherwise i can't like continue <laughs> yes. playing the game um yeah it's definitely something that i think you know if they're going to do it they should implement some kind of voice acting Uh, but it doesn't make sense for them because they want to have splatoon be this like weird language and you know it's this kind of whole history of you know the earth and humans being dead and all that sort of stuff and um yeah i didn't actually read too much of the law stuff but from what i've heard of people i didn't really either i know some corners of the internet were quite excited about it but Mm -hmm. yeah i was like "Eh, i want to play these levels (laughs) yeah i I think i'd probably rather just watch a youtube video that breaks it all down um than than do it myself but um it sounds like really interesting and there's i'm sure there's some cool stuff going on there um definitely but um, i could another vague criticism i'd have is i just would have loved two more boss fights like just a yeah, little, yeah. little bit more because they were some of the real highlights of that campaign and um 
you know, there's about there's six worlds. Why not just have one boss at the end of every world? Is that so much to ask for? Yeah, it's like one every other world, isn't it? Yeah. There's three bosses for six worlds, basically. Right. Uh, and then you got the final boss as well. But um, but yeah, I I do agree. I think those were some of the strongest parts of the game. Um, no, the flip side is, of that is Nintendo often repeat bosses, so I wouldn't have wanted to have seen that. And yeah, totally. I'm glad there was no like boss rush at the end. Um, yeah. So, but yeah, the, just a couple more because they were really cool yeah exactly um I, I definitely agree with that and i think that those those fights always have a they always have like a rhythm and a pattern to them like mario bosses where it's like you got to do the thing three times but i think they they shake things up each phase and like make the design fun enough that you don't mm. really mind that much you know like i'm i'm totally cool with them sticking to that old school kind of boss design as long as they do it strongly and they i think they do it very well each time um they kind of deploy one of those so yeah i was i was a fan of of what they did with them uh, and they were definitely some of the some of the better parts of the game but i also thought like the variety in terms of like what you're actually doing in different levels like there's one level where there's just a, a bunch of boxes and they're arranged in a pattern and it's like okay make the other set of boxes into this exact same pattern like you're almost sculpting a statue or yeah something, that was right? very cool um and yeah and i just let you approach the game in a totally different way it's just like a almost like pattern matching thing where you're going back to that one looking at it making sure that your shot is accurate so you don't accidentally break the wrong mm. box you know um and that one you know i, I could see how that one could get frustrating because like if you've spent like 10 minutes perfectly doing it and you accidentally hit another box you don't have a checkpoint for that level so like yeah that could be a point of frustration but i do think that like having the one where it's that you have to paint the whole moai statue or that's fine um, yeah yeah you know there's there's like a uh th- there's one where it's more um you're kind of like looking around this area to try and find keys and it's it's a lot more maze like almost oh, of like yeah, yeah. how do i get around this area i can see where i need to get to but where's like the point at which i need to get to it um yeah lots of just a bit more variety in terms of the style of gameplay that they're approaching and not just full action shooting enemies the whole time like because they have you know even with the power-ups like there's the, the spider-man power-up where you're like elastic and you're Very shooting fun, yourself yeah. um and you can attach yourself to different uh you know sides and 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 pillars and stuff and that one almost felt like non-linear in the way that you could kind of approach it and like the the way to get to the goal there was one level using that spider-man style thing where they they do like the skyscrapers and they're definitely trying to evoke spider-man a lot more on that specific level where they're asking you to like launch it mid mid air basically to to get it but yeah totally i Um, i also think that um even on some of the levels that are a little more enemy based like there's some really nice uses of like those balloons that explode and like there are so many uses of ways so many places where you can just hit a single balloon and it'll explode and then wipe out a bunch of enemies at once right. like enemies weren't just this thing they'd randomly lob into most levels just to add a bit of challenge they'd often put them somewhere t- tactically where there's mm-hmm. actually shortcuts to defeating them all like in a really little kind of action puzzly kind of way which was quite satisfying yeah um, there was that power up or the the sub weapon where you throw it and it bounces angles off of surfaces oh, yeah, right yeah. and you like have to take out multiple enemies and line up so all these balloons end up lining up in a row so that they explode and finally kind of cause a chain reaction type yeah. of thing um and that type of stuff i always felt was really fun or like, th- th- yeah. there was one with literally like 
it's like you have this much ink and when you run out of ink it's game over and you basically mm-hmm. have to run through a gauntlet of enemies and you i was basically picking the hardest enemies i was like right i'm gonna use my ink on that enemy because yep. that one's a pain in the ass and then yes. i'm gonna dodge all these other ones and you're like manically it's when you really realize that like yeah without ink your character moves incredibly slowly oh, yeah. in this game yeah. um really just fun ideas yeah, that level I found probably the most frustrating one in the game, I would say. Like it was in the game, wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was it was just like, man, I it's because they take it all away from you, right? And you just have such limited resources. Yeah. And there's no checkpoints in that one either. It's like yeah, just one yeah. thing. But... Totally. Um, um so yeah. I, I also wanna say that uh I maybe need to go back and see what Splatoon Two looks like, but they are they are, and people do rightly criticized the switch at this point in time for just not having enough oomph to you know do some Mm -hmm. very impressive things but like they are squeezing every last bit of juice out of the system for this game because it runs like a smooth 60 right and Mm -hmm. it looks so good like the ink is so shiny and the sound design and the animations on like some of these boss fights are like really intense and there's stuff splashing off everywhere and I didn't get a single hitch, honestly. I don't know if you yeah. did, but like it ran so smooth. I've weirdly started to get hitches in the lobby when I'm waiting for matches for some reason. Like when I load into the lobby, it'll it will start. That might be the online, yeah, uh, right, affecting totally. that. I would say not the game itself. Um, but yeah, it it does shock me almost that you have those sections like the last boss, which is like super visually impressive and a lot of shit popping off, and that runs smooth sixty. And then you get into the the plaza and it's still at thirty. And I'm like, oh well, okay. Um, I think partly the plaza thing is like number of characters standing around and like yeah, the, on, the online stuff to to bring in all of the pictures and, and that sort of stuff. I, I agree, but there's a lot of the equivalent of characters maybe like in some of these boss fights where there's there's yeah. just so much on the screen happening at different points and it's still yeah, totally so smooth um do you enjoy the final boss i loved it yeah i think it is absolutely fantastic and just such a cool spectacle and visually impressive like it kind of reminded me the end of kirby from this year you know like it had a bit of those vibes to it, it in some yeah. senses um and um yeah I, I i really thought that you know that there's, there's like a section after the final boss which is not like a victory lap it's it's almost like a they, they kind of change up the mechanics in a, in a mm. weird way um and i didn't love that section if i'm honest because it was just a little frustrating to understand but the um the, the kind of main final boss where you're just like in your squid form um is uh is definitely one of the best i think nintendo bosses that i've i've played in a long time um and definitely for me overall i was saying like you know this is probably one of the better campaigns like i think about what else have i played this year from nintendo and yeah for me this is well above kirby in terms of a single player campaign like i, I enjoyed this a lot more than that yeah no i i had a better time as well for yeah. sure um it maintained the freshness and kept me going in a way that kirby didn't after the second yes. or third world you know exactly. and um it's partly down to you know kirby repeating a lot of ideas and, right and yeah that, it does make a game feel that little less exciting to play as you get further whereas this campaign mm-hmm. was relentless and trying new things and as few boss fights as they are they're really worth getting to and yeah mm-hmm. the, i thought the final boss was really cool i i really love the splatoon 2 final boss i i yeah. don't know if i liked it more or less than this one i think as a spectacle this one's much better but i think it's yeah. like a mechanically like the gaming mechanics i think i might prefer the second one but that's not to say this one was still like really cool with that spectacle and yeah it's it's where like 
we I mentioned Luigi's Mansion Three, Mario Odyssey. Like it's it's quite rare that we get that Nintendo at, uh, itch well and truly scratched. And like this single player game uh, campaign really did it in a in a way that I wasn't expecting. And I think that was yeah really cool because you know like this this level of Nintendo production doesn't really come along overly often obviously we get, we get games like uh, uh metroid dread last year or something you know, yes like, totally it, it, it's maybe like once a year if you're lucky kind of thing right totally um this has also made me interested in the octo expansion because supposedly mm. a lot of the ideas that they're doing here with these like variety of, of levels and like taking different power-ups and stuff um was started in the octo expansion however what i've heard is the octo expansion is also bullshit difficult and i wonder <laughs> if octo expansion doesn't employ the checkpoint thing that this game does so i might check it out because it's free with the switch online service and i, I might just have a look and see um but yeah it might be that this is the more refined version of the octo mm. expansion in the sense that it's much more fair in terms of its difficulty balance and it has like the checkpoint thing built in and, and those types of things but um i do kind of want to check it out now um just as a curiosity because it seems like that's where they were figuring out free access with the online pass yeah. switch online yeah exactly um so it makes it a lot easier to approach um <clears throat> and yeah and, and i think that you know uh th- this campaign it definitely feels like the longest one as well but it also to me felt even shorter than splatoon 2's because of how much i was enjoying it i think right like i think um that I, like i was i was forcing myself to play splatoon 2's campaign whereas like once i got into the groove with splatoon 3's i was like i actually want to do this instead of playing multiplayer tonight and that's i, I think that's probably the biggest compliment i can give it because yeah. at, at its core i think splatoon is like i will always gravitate towards the multiplayer more personally um but the fact that it made me want to play that instead i think says quite a lot about how high quality I sacrificed it is. playing the splat taking part in the splat fest to, to beat this campaign yeah totally like it's, uh, well it's splat fest still splat fest still going you can oh, play it's some still today, today. Um, okay. yeah I'm, I'm gonna play a bit more of splat fest uh, yeah i did jump in i think it's really cool what they've done with the plaza like it is popping off there are lights everywhere it is just like a party city you have like fry and shiver on these giant like dragon heads that are like floating around the city like it is really visually impressive um and and i think it's just is it running at 30 it still is, of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but it's still really visually impressive, and and I love like they take all the the Miiverse style messages, and like they're all in like lights and colors and like LED like shining off walls. Um, yeah, I love what they do with Splatfest just as an idea, um, and it's just a really cool approach to take. I haven't tried the three way Splatfest thing yet, so I'm probably going to try some of that today. Um, but um, but yeah, you know, I, I think it's just a fun little uh, tournament. Uh, I chose Grub by the way, which supposedly was the least popular choice really um, yeah and i'm surprised by that i went with fun but you know we're video well, game enthusiasts that's what yeah, it's all about right that's true that's true well you've chosen the most popular team ballet so i'm sure oh. you're gonna win and get a lot of points from it um but yeah grub currently uh, i have not i don't think we've won any matches so far so i think all the shit people chose grub so that's <laughs> me um uh, just with the shit munchers so uh yeah looking for i'm looking forward to checking a bit more uh splatfest stuff and you know d- I, personally i do prefer playing ranked stuff to regular turf war um but it's nice that the splatfest almost kind of unites everybody under you know the turf war banner for a little yeah. while um so you kind of get a bit more competition in that space because i think a lot of the good players tend towards the kind of ranked matches the anarchy battles um, and the, the splatfest always sucks them back out into yeah exactly and, and so you have some dangerous games going on uh which is is good fun and um yeah definitely definitely keen to to jump into more of that stuff and uh, and just play more splatoon 2 i somehow 
somehow oh Splatoon 3 sorry I somehow have played 25 hours of this game I don't really know how like it's wow, just kind of yeah. happened um, I think I'm right up at like 18, 19 yeah maybe. yeah totally and uh, I don't know maybe that's how I put 60 hours into the second game and didn't realise it I've kind of like accidentally put almost 30 hours into this one um, and I think it's just like that's the thing with multiplayer games is there's there's a lot of like waiting around like you're just kind of like the matches are three minutes and you're just kind of like in a lobby for a while so times yeah so it almost feels like you're not playing for as long as you actually are you know um which is which is interesting but it's also like it's a great podcast game to put on so i will usually just be playing in the evening in bed or whatever and have a podcast and you know between three continues to be great i I had a right moan i think before it came out it's like 60 pounds is a lot to spend on this game how yeah. can i do it? and then it turned out it was like 45 on amazon mm-hmm. and i'm already that single player campaign alone like is worth 45 quid in my view like, oh yeah it's on really top good. of all this the great multiplayer that's still yeah. going so i i am i'm a lot less sour grapes than i was a few weeks ago and yes. i'm really pleased that this game has done that and i think that the single player just really reinforced that because it just mm-hmm. felt fresh and new and exciting and for a third game in the series that's really cool I would say as a whole package, this is the best Splatoon game. Um, yeah. I think yeah. like in hindsight, I would say Splatoon 1 is better than Splatoon 2, honestly. Um, even, I think partially because they introduced Salmon Run, but then they made it shitty to access it. So like there was a cool thing added, but then it was it was a bad implementation. We need to do more Salmon Run. I had a really good time when yes. we jumped in. That's, yeah, that's absolutely. Really cool. So like this one has the best single player campaign, can play Salmon Run whenever you want, new weapons and stuff in multiplayer as well as like the most maps they've ever had at launch i would say the only drawback is they still don't have some of the best splatoon 1 maps which i still think splatoon 1 has the best maps. some of those yeah i think some of the maps i agree they've kind of maybe overcomplicated a bit and some of yeah. those simpler uh, first game where it's really good you're also forgetting like there's a, a mario sunshine reference and oh yes. that definitely makes this the best splatoon game uh, of course actually so i'm uh, um, that's gonna make it the worst splatoon game now actually i'm uh, uh, revising my <laughs> you rankings. enjoyed that mario sunshine i enjoy streaming mario sunshine all right it's very different to enjoy playing the game itself uh streaming is a different experience but hell you know i i i got a i got a good chuckle uh when that boss showed up and i was like are you are we fucking really doing this game uh yeah they are they did Uh, it was fun it was a fun reference for sure um so yes platoon 3 uh, a bona fide hit uh you know and if you're you're out there thinking like well should i just get splatoon 2 instead of splatoon 3 i would say no Uh, at this point the community has moved over to splatoon 3 if you're kind of like hovering or like wavering and you haven't jumped in yet just jump in with three three is the best one overall and has the best stuff and yeah it's the most refined uh yeah they've kind of that's that's maybe the benefit of an iterative franchise like this is that you get to really like dig in and and make those kind of changes that refine it to a point where Mm. it's like almost perfect you know yeah Um, yeah i think that's what they're very impressed so yeah um well, we have another game to talk about mm. that we both played, uh, which is very fun. Mentioned uh, it briefly last time, but now we've yeah. both beaten it. Yes, we've both played through Tiny Kin, uh, which is a, I'm going to say, a platformer that has Pikmin elements, right? Um, yeah. Far more that. of a Mario Odyssey than a Pikmin 3. Uh, yeah. And I think it blends those ideas quite nicely. But um, mm. yeah, Bali, do you want to maybe talk through like your thoughts on this game? Because I know you're very, very hot on it. Yeah, I mean, I was very impressed by the opening like last time that opening world and i'm pleased to say like the worlds get bigger and more impressive i think the fundamentals of what you're doing don't really change um and i don't think the gameplay loop necessarily changes and that's okay i think because this is like a five to seven hour game like it's not too Mm. long um but in terms of like having a large 
like you, that, so there's multiple like worlds and each world is like a room like in the house it's basically toy story right toy where story, like right. You're t- but it's you're even smaller than that because you're almost exactly. bug sized basically so these these um these household rooms all are absolutely ginormous yeah and i like the way you traverse these rooms doesn't change a ton in my view and like you can get yeah. upgrades that increase the length you can glide and that's very satisfying but like the strongest aspect of this game i think is just it's the running around and the verticality and like mm-hmm. actually thinking i need to get up there how do i do that and i've not had that feeling since like mario odyssey and it's I, i'm referencing mario odyssey a lot i think it, yeah. it says something how much i like that game but yeah, um, totally this game really is good at the exploration platforming like there's not a ton of challenge and you can unlock so many like shortcuts to get back up to places so as long as you've got the shortcut there's not a ton of penalty for falling all the way down um even if you fall to your death you literally instantly respawn with no life system right back yep. to where you made the jump so exactly it's really encouraging being experimental taking risks being like oh i could i could reach that let's give it a go and then if you fail doesn't matter you just mm-hmm. respawn right back um i don't think the game in the later worlds does anything that makes me go oh that's a cool like final thing that i'm glad it did or didn't do didn't do you know like it it kind of just it's like yep this is what we're doing and this is really strong and i'm enjoying it and now the game's going to end kind of and that was and that's it and that's fine like i i I didn't i wasn't too disappointed with like the way things wrapped up because ultimately there's no there's no enemies there's no boss fights um which is an interesting take to be honest because so many games these days will put in enemies often maybe for the sake of it arguably or it's not fundamental to the mechanics and this game's just like no we're collecting we're platforming and we're exploring like that's what this game is about and i think that that's that reminds me of like you know spyro you know like i think spyro would be an interesting fun game to play even without enemies but they have enemies and this game just kind of takes a spyro element of collecting and then as obviously this is a lot more vertical um and i this is like one of my bet the best surprise of the year potentially for me like so far like it's it's a game i didn't know about and then i i saw i think it was ben hanson min max mentioned and i looked it up and i was like this looks amazing and I will say the trailers don't really do it justice. Like this game visually, and I was playing on Series X, but this game visually looks very impressive. Like it's really stunning. nice yeah. surfaces. So I was hugely impressed by this game and I need more exploration platforming in my life. I love mm-hmm. it. Yeah, it was almost an instant like feel thing when you jump in of like, oh, okay, yeah, this feels good to run around. The jumping is great. Like there's instant satisfaction. But then crucially for me, you get the soap board, mm. uh, which is like a... You basically <laughs> just use it to slide around yeah. and move places faster. And you know me, Bally. Like, as soon as I get a movement tool that lets me go faster than the regular walking speed, I'm absolutely on it. So um, that was the moment where I was like, okay, I'm in. Uh, you know, as soon as they gave me that soap board, I was like, all right. And the nice thing about it is that you can also... Like, I, I would love to see a speedrun of this game because, like, there's the edges of like desks or tables or chairs or whatever you can slide and you go way faster so you can like go regular uh, fast speed on the on the soap board but then if you find an edge you just start kind of rapidly racing along areas which is like really satisfying but there's also i think the design is very clever in the way that it almost it it has like every level almost has like a central hub area and you find these little string areas these little string um kind of globules and if you use one of your bomb tiny kin on them they explode and they turn into like a um 
what what the hell is that creature like a, a thread bug kind of thing and they uh, like shoot yeah. out these silver <laughs> yeah they, yeah basically they, but they shoot out like these silver threads and those threads almost like all go from these like the the corners of the room all the way to the center so you basically have like a quick travel to get back to those really high areas you know so like it gives you it almost forces you to do the puzzle aspect to get up there yourself yeah. but then once you've got to the top you can activate this this grind rail and it gives you a shortcut to get back up there if you want to quickly check something or you're like mm. oh that's where the mailbox is so i need to post the letters there and stuff like that um and i do like the variety of different uh, uh tiny kids trying not to call them pikmin yeah. it's the same problem with the wild uh, uh, heart last year yeah. um where you know they're clearly pikmin but you're just gonna they'd be called by another name um so they all there's different varieties and they do different things but the difference is there's not much micromanagement here everything is very contextual so like if you see a um i don't know like a, a little ring on the ground right um there are bridge ones which will turn into a bridge so you basically just point your uh, controller at it hold down the trigger and then you just automatically will just shot start shooting out the correct one same with stuff that explodes so like if it's a bomb one that's going to be used on it it will just automatically switch to the bomb tinykin and you know you can just keep chucking them which basically makes it a very fast paced experience you don't have to like you don't have that downtime of like micromanaging what you're going to use on yeah. what and um that, that kind of like smart uh, adaptive system makes it a lot more seamless and fluid and more like a platformer in the way where it's, it's just not asking you to do that kind of like task yeah stuff. like it, the, the the pace of pikmin works for pikmin but if pikmin suddenly asked you to platform around the world really fast you'd be infuriated at the speed at yes. which the, the pikmin are responsive the way you have to manage them the day mm-hmm. night cycle like this game just throws all that to the side and as you say it's just contextual like right if you're in this moment you're going to use your your tinykin now did you yeah I'm gonna guess your favorite and my favorite tiny type of tiny was definitely the green ones. That oh, absolutely! Yes. Um, did you use the trick where you just hold the right trigger uh-huh. and you immediately? Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh my! When I discovered that, I was like, "This is amazing!" <laughs> like, yes. And and that's something where the other abilities, like the bomb and the the carrying ones and the ones that make a bridge, they all felt very Pikmin like. I've kind of seen this before. Whereas the ones, the green ones that you use as a ladder to stack and you just basically give yourself a diving off point for gliding and jumping. Mm-hmm. Like they were really satisfying to find and to yep. use and, and felt very innovative for what this game's asking you to do. And like I said, this game's a lot about verticality. So what's better than uh, Tinykin that help you traverse the world vertically you know like, it's yeah. just such a great idea they give you a, a like a height advantage in situations where you otherwise wouldn't have it and um you know obviously they build it into the design but it almost feels like you're getting one over on the level design yeah, in a sense yeah. sometimes um which is always a smart thing to do um but yeah i think the other aspect of it is like how satisfying the sound design is when you're stacking as well the little blah blah blah, blah, blah yeah, like as it goes really up nice. like loads of great sound design in this game every time you find the little eggs for each tiny kin like just collecting those and the popcorn holy shit i call it popcorn it's like i think it's supposed to be like i don't know like wax or something. I, i'm not sure like the golden the golden popcorn looking collectibles which right. are basically like um i don't know oh it's coins. nectar it's like pol- pollen or something. oh pollen yeah. yeah okay um yeah it's golden popcorn to me uh, <laughs> but it was it was collect always when you find those like they lead your eye those are the kind of things that like suggest you've been to an area or not been to an area and like it's it's a really good yeah. tool to like figure out have you explored the space not just to actually collect them all and increase your gliding but as you say just as a guide to say whether you've been somewhere or not yeah totally did and maybe how many um, gliding um bonus power-ups did you get in the end i had seven, seven so i didn't get the nice. final one I only had yeah five but yeah oh wow that, that was yeah. very satisfying to 
try and get them and i i wasn't like i wasn't like right i'm gonna get 900 or whatever i think if i got close to like seven eight hundred i'd be like right now i'm gonna dig in and try and get this power up because i'm almost there sort of thing yeah i managed to get them in i think every world the base worlds anyway um and um i i i had a trouble basically i had gotten to like the fourth world and still only had two and i was like how do i up like where do i get these and i maybe it's because i was just button mashing through dialogue and i basically read none of it the whole game because uh, i just didn't <laughs> quite, give a, shit. a little bit overly chatty it's a little wordy game, yeah. uh, i was like i'm just here for platforming leave me the fuck alone so i didn't <laughs> listen to any i literally have no idea what the story is if i'm honest i basically just the story is very strange it yeah. was very weird i don't get it yeah there was a secret passage thing I found in, I think, the last level um, where it was like, I, I saw something, I was like, this is bizarre, what the hell's going on here? And I'm not sure if you found that area, um, but um, but yeah, that kind of clued me in a little bit of what was going on, but still, I don't really have huh. much of a clue, if I'm honest. Um, but, um, but yeah, I had to go look up online, like, how do I get more bubbles? Because I kept going back to the hub area and being like no one here talks like i try to talk to the guy who um you know does the artifacts or the guy who has the popcorn jars i'm like who's gonna give me more bot because i totally forgot from the start of the game and that guy that guy is basically in levels with his little stall and you have yeah. to find him within the level at his stall but because i wasn't talking to any npcs ever i just i just kind of like ignored all the npcs so i basically just like There's... got to that fifth or fourth level and had to look up online because i was like I need five bubbles. I mean, I've done a lot of levels. How do I get fucking bubbles? Yeah. Um, so yeah, there's a lot there, there are so many NPCs in this game, and I think what's really impressive is the number of like nooks and crannies and rooms of like, wow, this really does feel almost like a bug's life, you know, and these yes, kind of things yeah. where like there's a there's like a random bar in this little nook that I found in this gargantuan room that we're exploring, and like there's often like nooks within nooks as well. Like mm-hmm. it's just there's so much. Um, like life going on in these worlds and it's not i think it might have felt very empty and quite cold and a bit eerie had it been completely empty so i think that the fact they chose to create these little like a mini like hotel and a bar and a little restaurant a little this that and the other like really kind of lived in worlds i think was just a really nice touch yeah, it gives a sense of the society of, like, bugs living within the spaces that humans right. also live within, right? Um, which is very, very interesting. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I wonder if in their kind of early design, they were like, you're fighting bugs. But then, like, no, we're not going to fight them. But maybe we just still keep them in there as, mm. like, flavor to the world and, and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it it is really interesting that there is zero combat in this game. That it is purely puzzling and platforming and just exploring. Yeah. How many action games these days have zero combat? Like when I say action, I just mean like non-strategy. Yeah, you know, like, like a- any video game, basically. Right. You know, you're fighting something. Um, so I think it is quite unique that you're just you're just kind of like finding stuff, basically, and like solving problems. And that's kind of the core of each level. Is like, okay, we have a problem to solve you know we need to do this race but the train's stuck and where's the the track uh piece that's missing and also we need the car but we also need the trophy and these are the things that are kind of like populated throughout the world one criticism i have and this is something i think that the mario game started i want to say from sunshine actually i could be wrong maybe 64 Mm. did as well but when there's something activated in the world or you've got a goal to reach um I really like it when the camera zooms in on the thing and then it'll pan to you. Yeah, so you have a relative point of where you're going. You have a relative reference point as to where the hell this thing is in reference to you. This game does like hard black fade to to color cuts between Mm -hmm. things that you're meant to go to and yourself. And that really, on on the larger levels, that just completely took me out of it. So like, 
right that's where i need to go but where is that like i have no idea did that screw you over on when you had to take the car to the mechanic to get it fixed because i had no fucking idea where that car had gone yeah totally i'd like done something to unlock the car and i'm like where is that car like mm-hmm. and this room is big like it took yes. me i just had to just explore the room and i like that's the fun of the game i get it like exploring fine but like yeah. when i'm told to do something specific I really like when the the camera just pans and gives you a sense of what yeah. you need to do. And I'm pretty sure Sunshine might be in the first game to do this, actually. Mm-hmm. But it's a crucial part of a game like Mario Odyssey, as much as I'm referencing that game. Yeah. Um, For me, that's the weakest element, though, right? It's like, I, I love the start. The start of a level is always the best because there's unexplored space and there's yes. you're getting stuff constantly and the dopamine is hitting because you're mm, getting the golden popcorn yeah. and it's awesome when you get to the end of a level and you're still trying to find that one thing that for me is where the frustration starts to set in and i'm like oh i just have to keep going i don't know where it is and it just like to keep trying to find did i miss like a secret passage or something that's where it kind of bumps up a little bit for me um the other thing i want to make note is unfortunately for some reason this game gave me a headache and i don't know why so if i played it for more than an hour i just felt really bad and my head would just start pounding and i think it might be a camera thing with like maybe the motion on how quick the camera panning is or something but something about it just really gave like like motion sickness that i usually get from first person games but for some reason i got it here and i I don't really know this is the first time a non-first person game's done this to you no i think it's happened with other games and i can't i can't bring any to mind but it it happens very rarely I, i really don't know what the cause is but um yeah, it was just a little bit of a dampener because I did want to continue and finish the game, but it took me a bit longer than I would have liked just because it, my head was... Did turning. you have your frame rate turned up higher than 60? Yeah, it could have been. I was 120, so okay. it was like extremely smooth in a way that maybe was uh, overkill uh, for a game like this. I'll blame that. Yeah, that that could be. That certainly could be an issue. Yeah, I, I, don't, I would, wouldn't put it against it. So, um, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do think that that's probably the, the one drawback for me personally, which I get, you know, it's no fault of the game. It's just, you know, the way my brain works with video games sometimes is it does that. Um, and yeah, and I, I would say that, like, it doesn't change mechanically that much. Like, there's, I would say that the Tinykin are interesting in what they can do, but ultimately I don't think it changes what you do that much right because usually it's like okay we need to get this thing across this area so we're just going to use the bridge to do it yeah. and that's just a case of standing there and making a bridge and there's not much it's not much interest like i'd say the electric one they're a little more interesting yeah. you kind of have to make your own path to cool. move them but like by the end of the game i was like the, the last level is quite big and i was like yeah okay I, i'm kind of ready for this to wrap up now like i was almost yeah. if there had been one more level i think i might have started dipping into the negative on this game because mm. it's like we're kind of just going through the motions at this point and it's a lot of similar stuff as enjoyable as it is it just kind of like didn't feel like it was varying I, it up I, enough for I me i could have done with one more type of tinykin that gave me as much wow as the green yes. ones yeah um, definitely the, the, the electricity was decent the bridge was fine but like yeah. i just when when you first get those green ones you're like wow this really changes the way that i traverse as well in a way yeah. these other tiny can don't and like um, a, a grappling hook set or something that you could attach to ceilings or yeah something or some some of the like i know you can glide in this game but something that like you know what about like the pathless like a type that like you know gives you more elevation while you're gliding or something mm, i don't know but yes. maybe that breaks the whole game to a degree but yeah could have been on the last level i don't know but yeah. right totally uh, video game designers over here armchair uh-huh, game uh-huh. designers yeah definitely yeah we know but, but um yeah just so so impressed overall and you know 3d platformers in the indie space are kind of 
not as frequent as you might think and i think that they're also usually lower quality i find right yeah. like they usually they go for the kind of 3d almost n64 stuff like a hat in time is a great example of like one of the only ones that i think is broken out truly and people actually really like but i always see like really kind of jank almost bad looking 3d platformers mm. and this one with its style it's taken which is basically paper mario uh, aesthetically for the characters yeah but then the world's being kind of 3d that's some um, very impressive lighting in these rooms that really make them feel appealing and fun yeah. to explore like rather the carpets than look really good you know yeah. like some of these spaces the 3d kind of elements look really sharp the, the, the uh, furry carpets was the one thing that made my frame rate dip the slightest little oh, bit okay. just the carpet that was the one thing the whole game yeah well um, damn but yeah i i because i saw them the the team i can't remember who the team are but i saw them tweet like some earlier um earlier in design images okay that's, that's a famous topic this week um but um, yes and the, the levels just looked really like starkly barren and and pale and pasty and they they just really like added these really cool like atmospheric lighting and changed the textures on the surface to make it just look really appealing and mm-hmm. l- like i was saying before like i lived in space and like i think that they've done a great job of just like a really really good looking um indie game it's always great to see good looking indie games but um, for sure yeah especially in the, with like 3d platformers i think as indies are having more and more access to more impressive development tools and you know indie games are visually looking better and better i think that's that can only be a good thing in the long run for 3d platformers because i can imagine that there is quite a lot to bite off as an indie developer potentially versus a 2d platformer yeah absolutely um so yeah tiny kin there you go it's very good uh we enjoyed it go play it um, it's on switch i hear it runs really well on switch yeah yeah absolutely um so check it out definitely seems like a good handheld game um you so know. it had a lot of tnl energy this game i was very yeah yeah, yeah yeah it was, it was good stuff um cool uh last thing that i want to touch on is uh, i went to egx uh, i went there God, twice once one games convention after another i know non-stop um so once for business once for fun um and um so yesterday i was there just hanging out and um i mean uh, jordan from the game for all podcast i've been a guest on before uh, and um yeah it was good just kind of chatting and then also playing some stuff um we got to play sonic frontiers wow um everyone's favorite game uh, and uh yeah you know what like i was walking into this being like this is gonna be a fucking trash fire uh, <laughs> i just can't wait to dunk on this and you know what bally it's kind of fun i don't know okay. i think it i think it plays feels good or it looks good i mean both honestly okay. i mean like my hopes for the switch version are very low because like <laughs> yeah, i don't know um trying to pull off this like big <laughs> world and, and what they're doing on the switch i think already from the footage we've seen is like it's gonna be pretty fucking rough i think see there's um, the splatoon 3 team need to give these other developers their tools to you yeah. know get these games to juice a bit better exactly um but yeah i think it i think it kind of like is pretty fun like it's fun to like run around a bit it almost feels like open world was built for what sonic was really built for because yeah, yeah. the idea of speed and just not stop like without barriers in your way and that yeah. sort of thing just something feels... now we can actually render those worlds in time yeah. for <laughs> right exactly to run through them yeah totally so um so yeah you have like a boost button on your trigger and you can like dash between like rings in the sky and stuff like that and the the combat like has almost a um no it's like a mix between zelda and devil may cry where you have a lock on so you're easily able to kind of run around enemies but then you like jump in to hit them and sonic is just like in the air kind of like doing dante move just like hitting people um there's also this new mechanic which is like a a circle you draw on the ground so by holding the y button you basically start drawing this blue dashed line behind you and you draw a circle and when you draw a circle if there's no enemies then it just makes rings 
it just creates rings i think uh because that was what was happening and then if you go around an enemy it will basically damage that enemy by doing like kind of like circular damage so if you have like three enemies you can attack them individually or you can kind of basically stun them by going around in this circle and taking this big kind of blue ring around them and stunning them in place and then kind of attacking them after that and um, yeah it was a very short demo it was only like 10 minutes or so so just had a bit of time to get used to the controls and go around there are a few kind of like environmental puzzles where you're like stepping on switches or like going in a circle around three torches like the kind of like mini breath of the wild style puzzles that you would find um mm. you know in that game but there's also i guess their equivalent of a shrine which is basically find the keys for this thing the statue area and then it will warp you to like a regular sonic level and i start playing the sonic level and i'm like oh this is basically like sonic adventure 2 the rail grinding stuff right oh, okay. like um it basically it, i guess it feels a bit more like generations because that was when they brought in the homing uh stuff or i guess did adventure 2 battle have the homing stuff where you'd have enemies and you just home in on them yeah, um, and yeah. chain them together i think that's been around for a little while actually hasn't it with with 3d yeah. sonic but um but yeah that felt like okay this is just more traditional sonic level and it felt about as average as every 3d sonic level has ever been if i'm honest like there was a bit of funkiness with like jumping like i was trying to jump between rails but i realized you just have to tap the analog stick to jump between rails you don't need to actually press the a button so um yeah it was uh look i came out of it being like this game might be okay which i think for a sonic game is probably the best praise you can get honestly um so seven out of ten high 70s i think this game would be overjoyed to get a seven out of ten is what i'm thinking basically um and and i think that's i think that's possible i think it's very possible for this game to get a seven out of ten you know um but yeah i'm interested to see where it goes because a very brief kind of snippet didn't get to play too much so um anyway i've now experienced it and it's it's better than i thought um so that's good um also got to play uh the new chucklefish game that is uh coming out i don't know when but hopefully sometime soon uh called wild frost uh this is developed by chucklefish not just no it is not it is not it is actually published um by chucklefish just published um yes and uh i was talking to one of the uh the folks there who is who's running the booth and um it was funny because i had had a meeting the previous day with someone who previously used to work at chucklefish who is now pitching a new game um and then i was just chatting to him about that and that was interesting uh and uh yeah just very interesting like small small little world uh with the video game industry when it comes down to it um but um but yeah played wild frost and it is a card game in the vein of slay the spire roguelike uh, deck based uh game and um and it's interesting in that when you look at it it almost looks like um you know it looks like hearthstone where you have your cards at the front and enemy cards at the back and when i got into it what i realized is no it's actually more like slay the spire where you're on the left hand side and your enemies on the right hand side but both of you have two lanes so that's kind of the way that it's built out you, you basically have like a top lane and a bottom lane on your left hand side and the enemy has top and bottom on their right hand mm. side um so it's almost like a you are basically doing like a slay the spire left to right thing where you have your cards set up with your kind of character cards but then you can also play attack cards from the bottom so your character cards have like a countdown timer on them to when they will attack but then you can also just like play regular like attack cards from the bottom so it's a bit of a combination um of of a couple of different things right like it has it has the the characters attacking but then also you can play cards to attack individually and you have like healing stuff and all that sort of thing i couldn't really figure out how to or like how much like mana i had left or like what it was using to determine how many cards i could play per round and that sort of thing um and there's like a redraw mechanic when you run out and and when to use that and when to not use that i, I wasn't really I, I you know it's, you're trying to learn something quickly you know as you first jump into it and i didn't get a full grasp on it 
but um but i was really enjoying it it is so so satisfying and it's polished like the just like plumping down cards and the animations on them incredibly sharp incredibly crisp like looked really fantastic um and had that kind of juice that you want um out of, out of these kind of games and um yeah i got all the way to the final boss of the first kind of area and it just absolutely curb stomped me so i think i would have to like spend a bit more time figuring out what the actual kind of strategy is here because um it did feel like a little bit out of balance um just because i with the information that i had i was like how the hell was i even supposed to get through this situation but maybe it was like a certain strategical thing that i was missing i did kind of feel like that the first time i played sailor spire and it all yeah, totally clear so maybe yeah, exactly along those lines could yeah could certainly be the case um so so yeah but I'm, I'm looking forward to uh to checking that out when it comes out and hopefully it is good um because it feels like it's it's riffing on very familiar territory but i think visually it stands out tremendously it's just really gorgeous um but then it also has like some slightly different ideas in the way that it's approaching this kind of game so yeah very very curious about that game and, and how it does and that was that was probably the favorite thing that i played um, from the show um i also played planet of lana a game that i know mm. you're very excited about bali um and i think it's good i have question marks about it i was a little not underwhelmed but i was like eh, this feels like it could have some issues basically um and i think partially it is i mean first of all the game is absolutely fucking gorgeous like it is watching it in full resolution on a proper screen is just like wow this this game pops beautifully the backgrounds the foreground all of it animation what were you playing it on i think it was a pc it was a bunch of pcs basically okay. um hooked up with controllers and stuff but um it was yeah absolutely stunning and um i think it's one of those games where they almost prioritize animation over game feel i was gonna say that um, I, that's my one concern is that yeah, yeah this is really pretty it might even have quite a good story but then like, mm-hmm. are the 2d kind of it's almost like platforming puzzle mechanics right like do they stick the landing i would say it's more a puzzle game than a platformer right. like platforming is an element but it's more about figuring out how do you progress forward using mm. your little buddy who's with you who you can kind of send in di- directions kind of like inside right yeah i would say so and i think the thing that inside had was it had that great animation but it also had the game feel to back it up right as lo- as well as mm. the incredible puzzle design like inside was just like the full package when it came to this yeah. type of game and, and this kind of is, is trying to do that but it, you have moments where you're like okay i'm gonna jump for this ledge and i i press the button but then the character like takes a bit of time to jump and they jump too late and you're like okay like it it feels like they prioritized over animating over the actual feel of the game which is fine because at the moment it was like very slow paced puzzles and so it didn't matter that much but um i could see that becoming a problem later on the other issue is that like you have this buddy and you basically control him by pressing the b button to get him to stay somewhere or holding it to get him to follow you but then you can also use your analog stick to like point in directions and use the a button to like place him in areas and it just felt a bit finicky and like Mm. the your your character starts like pointing around the screen and then this kind of beam of light starts like moving around and it's like kind of like rapid and hard to place like where you want to put it um so it just felt a little bit janky in terms of that stuff and um yeah i don't know if i i I think even in those early parts there was one puzzle that i came across it was like i got stuck on it for like five minutes and jordan was like watching me play at the same time and and we're like the hell do i do here like it didn't make any sense and um and it was because i had gone instead of going underneath a thing i'd gone above a thing and therefore my companion had followed me and then not triggered a thing that it should have triggered um and i think the design there just like kind of made me confused Mm. for a while and i kind of almost accidentally stumbled upon a solution Mm. i was like oh okay i mean i guess but like it wasn't very clear is what i'm saying i think what inside does really well is that because it's got that good 
base level feel it, it can do uh action-based like puzzles as well as like very slow paced puzzles at, at like the same rate mm-hmm. whereas the concern is if the feel isn't good that might work fine on the slower puzzles but the second the game might demand a, like a little action sequence or an action puzzle right it'll just fall flat on its face is the concern yeah. i guess and this game might not even have any action puzzles who knows yeah it might just be this pace the whole game it'll yeah be fine um, um i think it'd be a, like i personally like the pacing of inside like if it, sure. if it went for the combination of action and some more slow puzzles but yeah interesting yeah. maybe you know come launch it'll feel great i but who knows we'll 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 see yeah who knows you know the, a lot of the stuff kind of um you know will get fixed over time and you know game development is is one of those things that you know even early in or close to launch uh products aren't exactly the same as what comes yeah. out at the start because things get patched all the time and you know it's the way of the industry but um yeah i would say it kind of just like lowered my expectations for this game a little bit i was like oh okay i was looking forward to this but now i'm just like uh, maybe just like tempering my expectations i don't think it it will maybe hit in the way i'm expecting it to it's but... game past day one anyway so yeah exactly can... yeah you don't lose anything from just checking yeah. it out and seeing so i will i'll definitely check it out i think when it does come out but um but yeah um, that's pretty much everything i did play street fighter 6 as well which um Man, I kind of, oh, I kind of want to go into that game. The game feels really fucking good. Like it was, man, it looks gorgeous. Like really fun. I was playing against a French guy who said he played a bunch of Guilty Gear, and um, he also said he played Smash in the past and stuff. I was like, I only basically play Smash, and I'm kind of like <laughs> sub-average at it. Um, but I know the basics of Street Fighter of like. I know how to block of like you have to hold back on the stick to like block and you have to do high medium low and that sort of stuff so i was i was holding my own a, a little bit i played as chun Li first first round and i played as kimberly and i played as um uh, J- uh jamie i think the two new characters or two of the new characters in in uh the demo um and they all felt very different uh very cool um and uh yeah i i, I enjoyed it I, I thought it was really fun and if they have an interesting single player feel like street fighter 6 might be i think a lot of people get gonna get in the ground floor with fighting games with this game because it feels exciting and it feels it looks amazing and just has really good feel to it so um yeah i'm i'm actually quite interested in that so that was that was good fun um and and yeah that's, that's, that's pretty much all i did in terms of playing stuff um those were the ones that i wanted to hit mainly was uh planet of lana and wild frost and sonic was kind of a little bonus in there but um nice yeah uh looking forward quite to, a uh, small show floor you mentioned yeah yeah i mean there's there's a lot of like old games there and stuff like that and um you know not not a huge amount Splatoon 3 was cool there? Stuff. Yeah, Splatoon Did 3. Did Nintendo have much more presence than that? No, or? they, uh, you know, you could play uh, hot bangers like Mario 64 in the free play area where Nintendo <laughs> just had a bunch of Switches with a bunch of random games like Yoshi's <laughs> Woolly World, or sorry, Yoshi's Crafted World. Mm-hmm. Um, they had Pokemon, I think, Diamond and Pearl, like... They had, I think, Hey You, not Hey You Pikachu, fucking Let's Go Pikachu. That'd be great. Look, if they had a Hey You Pikachu, I'd be standing in line to play that thing, you know? <laughs> uh, they didn't. Um, so, yeah, they basically just had a bunch of old games there because I was like, Nintendo, you could bring a demo for Bayonetta, you know, something like that. Come on, <laughs> man, give me a, throw me a bone here. But no, they didn't have anything fun, unfortunately. So, yeah, um, not much else. Uh, so, yeah, there you go. Uh, that was good fun. Uh, enjoyed it. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good time. So, I'd. Uh, I, I would say I wouldn't go there for four days, though, because it's open for four days. And I don't think you can really... I think you kind of do everything in one day. You can even do everything in a morning if you're fast enough, you know, and you're just kind of going for things, you know, unless you're standing in line for, like, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, which had the longest line by far, um, which I don't... I still baffles me. It's like, it's just a Call of Duty game. You fucking know what it's going to be like. It's going to be like Modern Warfare 1, but, like, a little bit different. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah, I, I'd say going to those conventions is fun. It's, it's a good good thing to hang out. This was local for you as well. So yeah, exactly. It's very easy for me to get to. So yeah, worth doing. Well, that's going to do us uh, for the first segment of the show. We'll be back though after the break and we're going to take some of your emails. So don't go anywhere. We will be right back. 
everyone and welcome back to the second part of today's show. It is time for your emails. We always need some more emails. We're getting low-ish, I think. Ish, yeah. Yeah. Ish, ish. yeah. So if you would like to send an email into the show, please email thisnintendolife at gmail.com. That is thisnintendolife at gmail.com. You can also join our Discord server. Link to that in the show notes. But we'd also like to say there's a channel in the Discord server where you can post emails, questions, comments. We'd love to hear them and we can Mm -hmm. bring them into this segment as well. Absolutely. Our first email is from Wicked, Wicked Gamer UK Alan, who's from the UK. He says, Hey, MZ and Bally, after a long hiatus, i.e. the global pandemic, I find myself back to traveling more. A lot of my travel includes international flights. Having more than several hours to kill during my travels has rekindled my love for the Switch and reminded me of the reason it's called the Switch. The simple fact that I can play Xenoblade 3 in, in the comfort of my home then seamlessly pick up right where I left off while I'm waiting for a flight or... Th- 35k feet in the air is the ultimate selling point of the console yes i know the steam deck exists and is for the most part offering the same experience as as the switch but better to be honest Uh, but given that this is your nintendo podcast here's my questions as we shift back to going into work or traveling or what have you what games have you found to be the reason the promise of the switch was fulfilled Shall we do that one first and then jump into sure. the next one? Sure, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I uh, I think that for me, I have been traveling back, but less so. Like, it's, it's a little less frequent. Um, and I think it's partially because of what the pandemic has done and affected, um, you know, the, the way that people have started to work is like everyone now has a bit more of a hybrid approach generally, um, I think from company standpoints of like, yeah, you can basically mostly be remote, but then you can also come in if you want to. And, and you know, there are like certain days that you should come in or like certain number of days that you should do. Um, and I don't know, there are certain places that probably have gone back in full time. There are certain service jobs, for example, where you kind of have to be because that's the entire, you know, thing is, is you have to be there to do those jobs. But certain other ones you don't um and in my case i am doing one day a week um sometimes two depends and i you know take the london underground and london underground is um you know it can be very uh let's say uh lacking for space in terms of being able to like sit somewhere or stand somewhere conveniently and play something um and i think because the switch and the steam deck are actually quite large as devices I don't know that even before the pandemic, I would have been taking my Switch on that type of travel. I think in terms of like other types of travel, like, you know, going abroad or going on holiday, it makes a lot more sense. And it's also like, you know, for example, when I was traveling to Edinburgh and then back again on the train, it was fucking amazing to have a Switch and just to be playing um, Live Alive the whole way. I literally did nothing else. All I did was play Live Alive, had like a podcast in for some of it, was listening to the music for some of it, but I also had a, um, you know, an outlet plug so I could just plug. That's the lovely thing about modernization with travel is that there is electricity within planes and trains now. So you have the ability, you don't even, sometimes, yes. (laughs) It's not always getting more frequent, but you basically have the ability now, you know, even so, you, you can take a, you and I both have a massive power bank, which i actually currently don't have mine because my sister is in that thing is my i love that thing yeah my sister is in south, uh, well she's in south america and she's traveling a ton so she basically commandeered it from me um so you know fair enough because she does way more traveling than i do um which you know she'll get a lot more use to do out of it but um you know having su- stuff like that is is helpful and it means that you can you know 
legitimately have these consoles be like handheld things and um yeah and i think it has is definitely fulfilled the promise of you know what what the switch is and for me the best memory i have of, of playing a switch where it's like wow i'm actually there are a couple for me one of them was going to america and playing astral chain on the plane um astral chain like a big flashy action game that you would expect to play on a tv um that still looks fant- fantastic on the switch screen absolutely gorgeous and like having it with the stand on the little uh, table on the airplane having my switch pro controller out headphones in like it's almost like you're at home playing a game like obviously not because the screen's not as big and stuff like that but the experience of being on a plane and playing a a game like that like a bigger game that you wouldn't necessarily have played handheld before is just there's something about it that is almost more engaging the kind of like handheld games in the past have always been great um but there was something about them i think that never like kind of almost drew you in in the same way um whereas with games like that and and the similar example is when we were driving down to london uh in december 2017 when xenoblade 2 had just come out and i was just playing for like four five hours straight uh in the car ride somehow i managed to not feel sick while doing that because it's very rare for me to be able to but i was just so (laughs) yeah i was so fucking enraptured by and xenoblade is is the game that melts time as well so i was like holy shit we're like we're there we just made it there and i didn't even realize it uh and i'm just been playing xenoblade this entire time and it's just amazing like it makes time melt and it was the same with live alive on the train i think um a little less so because that game as a 2d hd game has less of a quote-unquote console feel to it you know um but that said you know the the story of that game and and all the kind of end game stuff and the the visuals and just you know like going through those levels and grinding through the last dungeons i was just like fully locked in and it didn't feel like a four-hour train journey it just felt like i've just played my game for a while and whoops now i'm back in london you know um and i think for me that those types of i would say astral chain and xenoblade are more the type of game that fulfills the promise of the switch but i would say every game kind of fulfills the promise of the switch and Mm, it depends it kind of depends if how much you're into it right like if you're not that into the game then i think it's it's more to do with the game itself than i think the system but the switch giving you the ability to melt time on travel like that is just a huge huge benefit yeah um i think there's obviously obviously to some degree every game i i agree kind of shows the promise of the switch i think hd2d is a good example where sure like the the fundamentals of that do feel quite handheld but you think back to some of the maybe like you know pokemon or an rpg we would have played handheld traditionally yeah. like something about hd2d is like this is like glowing up something that is obviously so old and i think to have the power to do that with like the switch is incredibly cool um mm-hmm. I think back to when the Switch launched and we were playing Breath of the Wild and I was going to my cousin's wedding in New York and um, we also had some time in Florida and I had I was spending months, I think I took like three to four months to beat everything in Breath of the Wild and bringing Breath of the Wild on a plane and then playing in like I even brought my dock and just like pl- plugged it into the hotel room TV and mm. knowing... Not only is I think the Switch obviously an incredible handheld, but when you do want to play like docked into a TV, you just have to bring a dock and one extra cable. That's it. Like you're already bringing the power pack because you want to charge the thing. Yeah. So the the you couldn't do that. See, you couldn't do it like a Series X or a PS5. That's no. Sure. But like even PS4 and Xbox One at the time, like 
you're not really gonna do that you're not gonna bring unless it you're greg miller you know and you pack it into your suitcase like no not many people do that right i mean i have like back before the switch i would bring my wii u back to scotland from brussels yeah in my in my um suitcase but on holiday is slightly different and i'd want to go lighter so the switch is perfect for that and to to be able to continue like 120 hour 100 hour game and just keep it going seamlessly with a game like breath of the wild not to mention the fact that like that game looks great and is you know full 3d action open world like that's just not a handheld experience you just traditionally associate with some being on a handheld so like that was unbelievable um to be honest and maybe it's been downhill from there because that game was just ridiculous but um, of course yeah i do also associate octa octopath traveler with going on holiday in spain back in 2018 and just being able to just hang out chill play that game on the plane in the villa like it being able to just seamlessly do all of that and not have to think about it like i i definitely always think now when i'm going away like okay but what i might be playing all this stuff on ps5 and xbox series x but but what am i gonna be playing on switch because that's the one i can actually seamlessly bring Mm. on holiday or a journey like we were just down in the peak district last week and i just played like the splatoon 3 single player it was great like and then i can come back home and play some online like the same game the same system like it, it sounds obvious but like i think it is still the switch is still fulfilling like that dream you know now we're five almost six years on from the mm-hmm. launch like that 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 magic hasn't died at all and i think that they've really they keep putting out great games and those great especially the, the nintendo games run incredibly well on the system handheld and docked for the most part and i think that it's definitely all of almost all nintendo first party have really fulfilled like the promise of the switch yeah totally um and i think also some some other fun things with having like the switch online features of the nintendo uh the nes and the super nintendo like those smaller games you know i, I often find myself um when I'm on the tube playing my Ambernick is like, I'm trying to gravitate towards stuff where I don't worry too much if I miss the music or if I miss like those mm. extra added elements. You know, I, you know, if I wanted to play Xenoblade, I would not be playing on a train because I, I want to be in that experience. I want to have headphones on. I want to be paying attention to it, which is why it works for longer journeys. But for like quick brief spurts, you know, if I was to play a Switch on the underground, it would probably be like, yeah, I'm going to play some, I don't know, Banjo-Kazooie or something, something old that like I know the music and I don't have to worry that much about absorbing all the elements of it. And like, of course, I can do that at home if I want to. But, um, you know, if I'm just jumping in and playing... I don't know, some like random shmup that went on the Super Nintendo online service. I don't really care too much about those extraneous elements. And so you can kind of have more, more kind of like chilled, tailored experiences to the kind of mode of travel that you're, you're doing at that point in time, um, which is nice. It gives you um, a lot to kind of jump into. And it's also, I think, the benefit of those for shorter journeys is not only the switch just being able to go into a sleep mode whenever you want and take up basically no battery i remember the first day that i got the switch and i was like i'm just going to take it out the dock because i didn't want to i was like afraid of overcharging and weird shit like that when i first got it i was like i'm just going to leave it in my drawer i'm just going to like it was at like 97 percent, and i like like turned it off and i woke up the next morning and turned it on and it was like 
95%. I was like, holy shit, this is magic. What? <laughs> like, my, not even my phone does this. This is absolutely insane. Like, the Switch <laughs> retains battery in sleep mode like nothing else. It's really, really impressive. Um, so, yeah, so being able to do that, but also for, like, the, the Switch Online games is you can just save state whenever, which is really, really convenient um, and helps for those shorter burst journeys if you are going to play it on, on those types of places. But, mm. um, yeah, because my Switch case is quite bulky, I do find it hard to just take on those kind of train journeys oh my, my switch case has become even more bulkier i showed it when you were around mz but like yeah, yeah i've got i've got the fixed dress one and mm-hmm. i've mentioned it before but i would highly recommend that thing honestly if you like a pro controller and you're you, if you've got big hands like me not these little hands like mz uh-huh, yeah. like, big hands and <laughs> yeah. you, you know you, you got a lot more comfortable feeling that pro controller um for those who don't know it's basically a plastic thing that links the pro controller to the switch screen itself Mm-hmm. and you can adjust it and it feels it does feel heavy but it it's very heavy yeah in my view but yeah yeah, yeah yeah it's very very cool um second question from alan says this question is purely alternative reality speculation but i'd love to hear your thoughts if the pandemic never happened would the switch be as successful less successful or even more successful mm. the switch released that in that perfect window of pre-pandemic and then benefited from animal crossing at the height of the pandemic and is now benefiting from the world opening up again how might nintendo's success or lack of success be different if the pandemic had never happened and then alan goes on to say thanks for all the brilliant work not just on the podcast but also in the community you're building online great group of group of people discussing all things nintendo and non-tendo keep it up thank you very much alan really appreciate that and uh yeah if you do want to jump in and join the community we're, we're on discord and you can check that out in the show notes as we mentioned uh, at the start of the segment um yeah it was this is this is tricky because i mm. think like the factors that came together together to give nintendo a successful pandemic um were mainly associated with animal crossing itself right like yeah I think Animal Crossing was more successful because of the pandemic. And I think part of that is the idea of interactions with friends, right? Like the ability to build basically the ability to almost go outside without going outside like build your own community and and world when you're kind of like trapped inside the Mm. kind of like outdoorsiness of animal crossing the the kind of bug catching and fish it it, it shuts you out from the world that's going on and just creates this very rose tinted nice happy place that you can then experience with friends it's like the perfect escapism for the time right exactly which is and why the first game i played after animal crossing was last of us part two uh-huh yeah no you had to just go back to the depressing <laughs> exactly. stuff you know um but but i i do think that uh it it might not have been as successful had we just gone on regular life right like i think that the switch was always building momentum was always doing well but i think that just like weird circumstance really rocketed it but also gaming generally as a industry was one of the only ones that was trending upwards in a time mm. where every other industry was trending down and it's because people just were at home and had nothing to do and so they needed something to put hours into like a lot of people i'm sure not like us who have like a million things we want to be doing all the time and shows and you know games and stuff that we want to care about but um more people are just like regular people who are just like i don't know i've watched all of netflix what do i do now um and so i think games became a bit of a you know a community thing for people to hang out online and play with friends but also just a thing to put time into when they just didn't know what else to do and felt i guess 
the lack of control that people felt in their lives as a result of covid video games are unique in that they they give you a sense of control right like that's i think that's one of the things why people gravitate towards them on like a deeper psychological level is that um i think we play games because we feel like it's something we actually have a sense of control over in our lives right and um and i think that kind of resonates with a lot of people during that period of time and so you know not only did nintendo doing well but also microsoft and sony with with the other consoles and um I, I, I do think that the handheld nature obviously suffered during that period, but I also think a lot of people were probably, you know, they have this small space to be in their house or whatever, or if it's a small apartment, like, I do think the flexibility of Switch helped even in those scenarios where you're not just sitting on your TV. If you want to, you can take it to bed with you, or you can hang out on yeah. the couch, or you can, you know, be at dinner playing it or something, you know, like, there's, there is a flexibility to the Switch that also gives you a bit more variety in like not just being in one place one time doing one thing you know Um, i think nintendo also had the huge advantage aside from animal crossing that they were midlife with the switch and they weren't worrying about a console launch like two other very big companies Uh in the video game industry yeah um i think this has two advantages a they don't have to worry about all those chip shortages and pricing in the same way that those other launches had to worry about but secondly like the switch could like come down in price and like doesn't have to be day one price right mm-hmm. like didn't the switch yeah. come down a little bit in price before the pandemic and uh i think it was basically the switch light happened right well, so yeah, you also right. have an additional type of device that's even cheaper if you want to just right. have a handheld thing right so and i would attribute a lot of nintendo's success to those iterations of the switch and you know a lot of their successes come honestly because they haven't launched the switch too uh-huh. <laughs> um yeah and that's really annoying to say because we would love a little bit more juice in that switch um but i think they've they've had a lot of success because they kept on doing what they're doing and yes they got quite lucky with the timing of animal crossing um but i think they had a fundamental strong base going into the pandemic and you know now we're out of the pandemic and then we're in we're entering like a recession in many Mm -hmm. parts of the world yeah the interesting thing about video games is they're a very they've become a very resilient industry because mm-hmm. video games compared to most hobbies it's and it's all this is all it all depends on it's all variable depending on the person but as a whole it's quite an affordable hobby in comparison to many things especially when you compare it to the price of going out for food and drinks constantly which yeah. is what people definitely do a lot less of in the pandemic but also yes. do a lot less of in a recession absolutely yeah. and if you can have more nights at home where you're enjoying a video game that works out so much cheaper in the long run that it's a very appealing thing to do when there's a recession on so i think nintendo have versus the their competition really nailed it in terms of timing a lot of this is through luck obviously through the mm-hmm. timing of their systems uh but also you know they've got some really strong games that they keep putting it out and and i know. think ultimately because the pandemic was such a i mean it affected the entire fucking world right but like nintendo have games that appeal to broader wider audiences yes. right animal crossing is a game that appeals to people who don't usually play video games and i think that is also part of the reason switch succeeds in these times is that the types of games that they make have such a broad wide yeah. appeal across age groups gender everything they're the marvel and star wars of video games you know they appeal Absolutely. to everyone they're not yes. just one specific area yeah totally um, um which i think makes, makes very, a big difference very valuable so yeah i 
had the pandemic not happened, I think Nintendo would be doing great. Uh, but I tell you what, I think Xbox and PlayStation would be doing quite a bit better, to be honest, mm-hmm. because I think yeah. they've really struggled with timing and marketing and chip shortages mainly is the big thing for everybody but yeah them in particular yeah um, has been a nightmare and so yeah i do i do think that this assessment from alan is is correct that like they almost had the perfect storm of like they had a console that was successful then they had a global event that made it even more successful and now the console just continues to sell because more people have it as a result of that and you have more games coming out and yeah it's just like a self-perpetuating cycle basically that's that's kind of built and and, and you talk about games that aim to a wide audience like last of us part two is a great game but there's definitely people who wouldn't have wanted to play an apocalyptic game at that point in time oh definitely but yeah, would still yeah. respect that game and think it's a great game but mm-hmm. might have been like eh, i'm gonna not play that just i'm gonna now, pass on that yeah exactly definitely. and yeah. i think the nature of the games they're doing and appealing to that wide audience like just it's really valuable mm-hmm. for sure so, yeah. right our next email is from renee from germany it says hey mbz and bally i like to have a decent overview of where my email contact information is so occasionally i try a bit of housekeeping in identifying who knows me and getting rid of accounts i no longer need there was a bethesda account i made because a friend talked me into trying out fallout 76 yeah that went well <laughs> uh, a paradox account and ubi and an ubisoft account that i don't even remember creating and a psn account i don't need because i don't have a playstation so there were uh, many candidates to get rid of and i realized just how weird this whole endeavor is ubisoft and paradox were okay allowing me to delete them myself by logging in and searching a bit for the right option bethesda required me to chat with someone from their tech support God, I hate stuff like uh-huh. uh, psn on the other hand is a huge pain because if your account is german like mine the only option is to call sony support which is either not available or has like 30 minute queues yeah no thanks guess this one will be in sony's database forever uh, i don't know how it would work for nintendo accounts but considering their let's call it proficiency with these kinds of things i can't imagine it being pleasant working in tech myself i know that deleting user accounts is quite often not in, not intended but if you still need to offer that option if nothing if nothing else because of legal things making it harder for customers may may be understandable but it, but is definitely bad practice in my book I guess with the trend of big companies buying each other, looking at you, Microsoft, many of their systems will eventually merge together, reducing the mess we see now. But that obviously opens up a lot of other problems. What are your thoughts on this? Do you know every account you have? Are you hesitant to make a new one just for one game or do you not worry about it? Lastly, do you think these integrations of bonus online features into offline games are getting out of hand, Renee? lovely um well yeah it's it's one of those things that i think just you just kind of happen upon especially with me with pc right like talking about all these launches bethesda and ubisoft and all these places yeah like my data and my stuff is like in a bunch of places and i technically still own stuff on those accounts right so like my uplay account has a bunch of games that i can only play by accessing that same with origin i think it's now called something else the ea desktop app is something else um i have a bethesda account i'm pretty sure i have uh, i've got a battle net account as well i have an epic account like when you're on pc in particular 
look, you got a lot of fucking accounts for a lot of different companies for reasons that you don't really understand and you just kind of, you end up with them. I think I actually have a Warner Brothers account now because to play multiverses, <laughs> they make you sign up for a Warner Brothers specific account. Um, and I think this happens less on console, though it still is a bit prevalent because I know it's happened, I think, a couple of times with you, Bally, where it, it pops up and is like, you have to create this specific account. Like, you have to, you created an Epic account for stuff like Rocket League and Fall yeah. Guys, right? Yeah. Um, so, like, they still kind of get you, even if you're on console, uh, which is quite a, a new bummer. phenomenon. I say new, maybe like last five, six years. Yeah. Um, but it definitely wasn't something, it was, it was like a PC only thing for a while, it felt like. Yeah, definitely um how do you feel about it because it's, it's not Ugh. something i really think about that much of like i guess just because we're on the internet and all companies know everything we're doing and data is just yeah. like this currency yeah. that just kind of exists like i appreciate like the hoops that renee's jumping through to get rid of these accounts but like i don't know i, I think they make it this difficult because a lot of people will start to do it and realize how annoying it is and then just give up right like that's right. kind of how they build this stuff it's same with subscription services trying to unsubscribe from something like the other day i subbed to a twitch channel real quick just to see something and then i wanted to unsub so i wouldn't get recharged for it and um just like trying to find where the fuck in my account to go mm. to like unsubscribe from this thing they just make it the hardest thing possible versus signing up for the thing which they make the easiest thing possible right yeah, um, it's, so, yeah. it's one of the things where ultimately i'd look at it two ways one what information do they actually have so normally they'll have my name and my email address and it's a password not, that you give them right and the password that you give them and this is an argument i guess in favor of like you need to change your password for uh-huh. every single thing you use because we're yes. robots and can remember eight thousand passwords of course um but yeah and i guess you could set that password up with an authenticator i guess is that would that yeah. be possible um, I, I think so i mean i have i mean i use google authenticator for pretty much everything i have um that's very impressive you do that i'm bef- yeah. definitely not good for doing that i need to do that um, yeah a dual factor is like necessary in this day and age i find like it's just it's going to protect you with everything and it's it's just good to set up on every account possible so really. i think that sounds honestly like the best way of protecting yourself and knowing the full downsides of having your name and email address out there i don't really know enough about and i think it's fair enough to say if you don't know enough about it maybe you should be more cautious but also how do you get by in this world without an email address to enter into every damn form you have to Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know like fill out for everything so on the one hand they've not got like my personal address my phone number my these things and that's where websites like twitter do my head in where they're like you should you should really lock up your lock down your account and in order to do that we need your phone number and i'm like no twitter i don't want to give you my phone number like yeah, this is ridiculous yeah. and i can see what they're trying to do and lock it down but ultimately i think if you compare it to something like phone companies where I think regulators have in the last 15 years, 10 years or so have become a lot better about regulating phone companies and making it much more, they have to be a lot more transparent about when your contract ends, um, how much you're paying them, Mm -hmm. how to unsubscribe. And by and large, you you can now like unsubscribe from all phone companies through either chat boxes or emails or like online forms. You don't actually have to pick up the phone on someone that you definitely did before. And I think it's just, this is a good example of just regulators being behind an industry that is, you know, at the cutting edge of technology, ultimately. Right. Um, And I know regulators aren't always a great solution to everything, but this is a very good example where I do think that the EU and other regulators can just come in and say, um, yeah, you now need to be very clear about how to unsubscribe. It's now illegal that that has to be a phone call. It should be an online form. um, And you need a big, you know, you get emails where you 
there's a big unsubscribe button at the bottom right like there should be an equivalent of that for, for these accounts and video games um and it should be simple um but ultimately you need regulators to be far more um engaged about these things and the the kinds of the kinds of groups that will lobby governments about these things aren't obviously the video game companies they're going to be like um information human rights groups kinds of things you know like the groups that are i don't i can't think of these groups but you know liberal groups who are very in, in interested in government not holding on to information kind mm-hmm. of pressure groups and things and yeah. you know ultimately those gr- groups need funding and money to have the time to lobby governments and educate governments because ultimately like having worked in brussels like these groups have a lot of sway over politicians when a politician yeah. agrees with the argument of a group the group can help write legislation often you know like they can help they can do they can go so far in writing and and actually making legislation that can get their point across and change the law for the whole of like the eu in this case um that makes really substantial difference because ultimately the consumer uh does need their information protected and it should be easy to unsubscribe from these things um and i think we're just playing playing a bit of chicken and egg at the moment and it's the it's the companies and the publishers that have all the you know the power at the moment and it's going to take time before regulators do catch up but i do think in the next five to ten years there will be a big um crackdown on this and there will also mm-hmm. be more there will be more um subscription options where you can have them all under one thing under one roof and then by being under one roof they'll have you will have the ability to unsub and sub to what you choose at any one time almost like you know multiple subscriptions i think that's going to happen to lots of sub- subscription services anyway but there's going to be a market for having all these things under one roof and you can like a tick box menu you can say what you want and don't want at any given time yeah um i i know that you had a bit of a run-in with nintendo for an account thing that wasn't about getting rid of an account but was about figuring out like there's money on this account and how do i change it basically we, we were basically doing um region hopping uh which is like changing your region on your nintendo account so that you can buy something from a different store i now have it set up so i have multiple different accounts i've got a japan one i've got a us one uh, and i've got my regular one um which i would advise people do because of what bali went through uh with his you with his account and switching it over to us so do you want to explain what happened there bali yeah so basically a listener gifted me a game uh the gift was like a code for like the us shop i guess Mm -hmm. um so I thought, oh, Nintendo do region switching. I'll switch my main account to US. So that worked seamlessly. Um, I then downloaded... Did I use the code? I think you used the code to add credit to the account, I right? used the code, got the credit. I think the 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 credit was like 20 bucks or something. And yeah. the game might have been like nineteen ninety nine. I think it was mm-hmm. Okami, actually. Yeah, um, yeah. So I had like a cent left. And then I wanted to switch my account, my US account with a cent uh back to great british pounds um and nintendo were like no you you have to zero the account to like have to be able to switch back i'm like right this is a cent like what why why does an account have to be have to be zero to switch it like i don't really understand the the law behind that Mm -hmm. and then i had what did i do i think i went to like a nintendo did I get into a chat room or something? Yeah. I think I did online. Yeah. I got into a chat room and then they were pretty helpful. Like, yeah, we can zero that account. And then as the conversation was ending, they basically said something along the lines of like, um, please make sure not to do this again in the future or something. And it's like, 
what do you mean? Why am I getting like a slap on the wrist for this? Like, how am yeah. I breaking the rules in any way whatsoever? You know, like this is your system. You should support it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one thing I do have an issue with the Nintendo account system is like, they're neither yes you can region switch but it's not something they shout about and promote no but it's just not. something you can do so yes. i don't understand i it's very strange because nintendo sh- normally shout about everything they do do and don't mention a word on, on the things they don't do whereas mm-hmm. this is something that kind of comes in that gray space in the middle um which is very strange so yeah i think a lot of it is also because uh internationally prices vary on a scale uh you know i bought my copy of skyrim from the russian e-shop back in the day because <laughs> it was way cheaper you know like people find ways to get around pricing this happens on steam a lot if you want to get cheap games on steam you go to the brazilian version of steam and you buy games extremely cheap right like that's kind of the mm. way that people who want to make you know get games for super cheap prices they kind of use the vpns to get around those systems basically um and i i think that's kind of the gray area part of it that you know no company really wants to discuss openly even if nintendo give you the ability yeah. to do so you and know? and i think that maybe other companies like sony and xbox would still have issues with you having money on accounts and then switching because for example i played ori and the will of the wisps early by switching to a new zealand account because that mm-hmm. game comes out earlier i did new- the same thing with jedi fallen order use a vpn to trick uh, into thinking i was in uh, new zealand as well right. so i could start playing it early basically. Um, now xbox it was fine I, i'm assuming because it was on game pass and there was no transactional money sitting in an account right um maybe they would have also kicked up a fuss had i played ori will of the wisps having paid i don't know 10 quid 12 quid for it and then had a, a penny left and then swapped back after having new zealand dollars or something but i i, I don't know i don't i just don't know um yeah. but it was very clunky for nintendo and frustrating and it's all like i was saying about regulators the problem at the moment like regulators aren't just to make this you know it's to prevent there from being a wild west which is basically what there currently is yes Mm -hmm. there, there are current laws about transactions and things like that but these companies can do it in the way they want to like that nintendo example i just gave like they that can be like a, a totally a nintendo decision just to be like nope you can't have money on accounts when you switch between them this sort of thing so yeah i don't know it's, it's it's messy and i think regulators can clean it up a lot definitely um yeah i think the last thing that Rene was talking about was integrations of bonus online features in offline games i, I cut a little bit of the email down because it um, had, had a lot more kind of examples of that stuff but um i came across this i mean i'm coming across this now with splatoon 3 of like um you know, I want to access the shop and stuff and the weapons and the game's like, no, you got to be connected online if you want to access the shops. I'm like, what the f- This is really weird. Like, I should be able to do this offline, but it requires me to be online to do this this part of it that seemingly shouldn't be right and um you know that that's happened i think a lot more on the other consoles usually uh the, the example he gave was watchdogs legion where you basically had to be connected online even though it's a very valid offline game um it's it's almost like the thing that microsoft were talking about with the xbox one originally was like we're going to be an always online platform and you have to check in and you have to make sure your internet uh, checks regularly to make sure you're still uh, online even in single player games and stuff like that and um i think it's Something that people have accepted a bit more, but mo- mostly for just like multiplayer online games that are always online. Um, and I don't know, it's it's weird to me. It is very weird because like Destiny, for example, you play the Destiny campaign 
solo you don't need anyone else but they kind of force you to be online in order to access that game at any point in time and it's just a bit weird um and i don't know it's probably becoming less of an issue as online connectivity and everything just is just universal and everywhere but i don't know how i feel about it like it it feels like from a from a standpoint of like keeping uh these things around of like preservation it you know in however many years time how are you going to be able to access these things if companies have demanded you know these single player things you need to have online connectivity it's it's a bit it's a bit messed up i think um yeah it's all a mess is the yeah. conclusion <laughs> yeah pretty much but yeah. thank you very much for your email renee and that's all we've got time for emails mm-hmm. on this segment but as i said at the top of the segment please send your emails to this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com we are always in need of more and we really appreciate it when you send them in mm-hmm. um that's what we've got time for in this segment let's go to the third segment where we're going to be talking about our top games of the year from 2014 we will be right back everyone welcome back to the third and finale part of today's show uh it's time for a bit of navel gazing nasal navel navel gazing right that's the phrase you can um, gaze at noses if you really want uh-huh yeah i, I like nasal gazing always um i mean in splatoon 3 there's a giant moai statue with some big noses i was looking at those you know so uh you know we can we can do a bit of both the, the moai um, statue just appears a lot in video games doesn't it i think the japanese have like a fascination with them yeah i think so um they uh isn't there one in konami crazy races you can play as as yep. well or something yeah 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 yep, yep. um yeah people love them uh i don't know why but anyway <laughs> they exist uh but anyway we're gonna we're gonna take a look back in time um and uh i thought it'd be good to go over some previous game of the year years uh in our history and um and maybe just recount them and basically have a, a bit of a look back at that year in particular what was going on what we were playing um and reassess basically look at our list and think has our opinion changed over time you know uh, what has kind of solidified as like our favorite things and our things that we may have dropped in our estimation um how have, how have things evolved in our taste and also have we played things that came out that year since then that we would slot back in um and and yeah basically just take a little bit of a look at the past so um but do you want to explain what we did back in game of the year in 2013 yeah. so our format back then so this is the first full year of the podcast we started in 2013 but 2014 we played a full year of nintendo video games and we did individual lists back then so 
rather than do the joint thing we do now with our big top 10 we did individual lists and that was all games that came out on nintendo systems for that year um so do you want to jump to your top five first sure so my top five in order was a number five mario kart 8 and number four professor layton versus phoenix wright number three was shovel knight uh, number two was super smash brothers for wii u and number one was bayonetta 2 isn't it wild how long ago shovel knight came out uh yeah and it's uh, they only just finished it what like two years ago or something um yeah and a sequel uh still in development not out yet mean of the horror right. but um yeah man um yeah so my top five was number five smash brothers for 3ds number uh-huh. four mario kart 8 number three shovel knight number two donkey kong country tropical freeze and number one was smash brothers for wii u yeah um so yeah we didn't do like a joint top five this no. year um this was just kind of like individual lists and i think we probably could have done one if i'm honest because we had a lot of crossover basically yeah uh, a lot of similar things that we had played um but is there anything value that stands out to you immediately as like i would change this this would be a, a thing that i would swap around or anything well i should say i do intend on playing bayonetta 2 this year because i have to it that's was our, true it was yes. our, our little game trade thing we did mm-hmm. um so i'm frustrated that i don't have an opinion on that game yet because that mm-hmm. might insert its way into this top five potentially i don't know yeah, but um yeah. looking at my top five i'm pretty happy i probably would go with that same order to be honest interesting because i thought you might put tropical freeze as number one instead well, and trade that for smash wii U. on a given day probably yes i agree it's tight i, I I'll, I'll give you that i i think it i could go with one or the other um and maybe smash ultimate has surpassed smash for wii u in my mind a bit although as much as we love the trophies from smash for wii u um mm-hmm. So yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Tropical Freeze would be. I look back so ridiculously, ridiculously fondly on Tropical Freeze um, that yeah, you're probably right. It might take number one. Um, I think Shovel Knight sitting at three, I think is is good. I think Mario Kart Eight having jumped back into all the DLC, which I always does DLC count? Does it strengthen the game from that long ago? But like we're, this is 2014 we're talking about, and now we're playing yeah. DLC. Yeah, this is game. like the Mario Kart 8 of the Wii U era, which yeah. had, uh, at this point in time, wouldn't have had like the extra DLC that they added onto that game. Not in 2014. Um, Did that come in 15 or 16? I think it came the year after, yeah. yeah. So it would have just been the base game of Mario Kart 8. Which was still really strong. Like Those are some fantastic tracks. Obviously not enough modes, but that it's still a really strong game. And I think I just... I don't think I beat a ton of games that came out that year um, on Nintendo systems. I think Smash Brothers for 3DS was almost just like to make up the numbers a little bit. Um, Yeah, I think so. Like you basically didn't have another option. So it was like, well, I I also played Smash on 3DS, which by the way, look, Smash on 3DS, a fantastic version of that game. And I would legitimately say like a different version. Like the feel is the same. Yeah, I'd be interested how it looks and feels i think it felt great i'm be interested in how it looks today because we definitely i remember the demo for that game so much more than the actual game <laughs> where we were yeah. just like playing with villager and Mega Man, and like, these new characters were playing smash on 3ds online this is insane um and then when the game came out there was like a window where we played a ton of that game and then it was like a month later two months later um it just came out on wii u and we we're like right here we go and then i think I didn't personally do a ton of going back to Smash for 3DS after the main game. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd have this list as it is, but maybe swap Tropical Freeze to number one, you're right, because that just is a lot more 
fond in my memory perhaps but i think shovel knight deserves to be three mario kart four and then smash 3ds at five okay um for me i see here's the thing right because like bayonetta 2 was the big smash surprise out of nowhere like i didn't expect to play it i didn't expect to really enjoy it and then it just kind of like blew me away with the mm. spectacle and, and all the music and all that stuff it was like the surprise of the year and you felt really amazing about it in the moment so yeah maybe exactly that's why it's higher but yeah i think so whereas i think probably i look back more fondly at my time with smash wii u just the amount of time i put into it like all the stuff that is in it the new characters that they added the single player i still think is kind of bad for both 3ds and wii u i think it was just like i think the wii u did wii u have the board game i think it had the board game in it didn't it yeah it was awful yeah it was not very good um so i think i might actually put smash wii u at number one and have bayonetta at number two and i think had i taken more time to go back and like replay bayonetta that might change but you know it's been such a long time now that it's it's hard to kind of put in my memory and i also like i kind of just played through bayonetta it was the first real character action game that i'd gone into so i played it on easy and i didn't go back and kind of do what you're supposed to do with these types of games which is to replay them on different difficulties and to use all the different weapons because obviously being a nintendo published game they had a bunch of stupid shit like the chain chomp in there (laughs) and like other like weird like bowser things and you know i'm sure there's going to be a lot of that in the third game as well but yeah i i feel like i owe bayonetta 2 to go back and replay it almost um so i don't know if i'm gonna have the time to do that before the third game comes out because we've only got about a month left before uh bayonetta 3 hits our shores but um yeah i want to try and beat bayonetta 2 before then to see if i want to be day one bayo 3 or yeah i don't know if that would just burn you out though right playing it and then going straight into another one it might might have left it a little late that's my fault which i think happened with um fire emblem a little bit because you were like burning through conquest before three houses came (laughs) out and i think that also might have affected your uh enjoyment of that okay, game so it's definitely a risk that that can be taken but i think i would probably switch smash with bayonetta and put bayonetta 2 i think professor layton versus phoenix Wright is a fucking fantastic game and i actually personally would put it over shovel knight <gasps> i think shovel knight no. is really really fantastic and i think its impact at the time was more strongly felt mm. um but i think over the years with more and more uh, side-scrolling platformers being made and yeah. you know my, my taste being evolved and that sort of stuff i think the original game is still fantastic but there are still like moments of nes design in there like i think of the the level where it's all dark and there's lightning and you're having mm. to almost navigate it like blind um and you know some of stuff like that i i think is still quite um the music my tricky God, the music the music's really good yeah but um you know i love i love phoenix Wright, and i i, I think professor Layton's are also a really good series but this combination bringing them together first of all it just looks gorgeous on 3ds like capcom getting the most out of that system possible um but it, it just like the combining of these worlds and like improving the elements of phoenix Wright that i felt were the weakest which is you know the 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 days where you're collecting evidence you're going around and talking to people by replacing those segments with professor layton segments where you're mm. basically just doing what professor layton gameplay is that's really cool i'd like you've got a hard copy of this game right i do yes i might yeah. have to borrow that from you yes yeah this sounds good yeah definitely so like the professor layton stuff and it, it might be a good idea Bally, to just play the first professor layton first so you so you will okay. have played the first phoenix right the first professor layton have you got a hard copy of that i don't know i um i was a little pirate boy and ace carded that back in the day so <laughs> yeah i don't yeah yeah, yeah, um, yeah here's so. a question yeah had shovel knight not had its umpteen new mm, modes and expansions yeah would it be a little more rose tinted than your mind? Do have we like reached so. the point with Shovel Knight where we're like, all those expansions are really great and I've had a great time with each one, but it's like it's a lot it's a it's lot. It's almost of Shovel exhausting, Knight. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's a bit I've... exhausting. As high quality as they are, 
part i think the first the very first um expansion or new campaign with a plague knight i Mm. feel like i was the hottest on out of all the expansions and then from there it's been like yeah this is cool but it's it's, you know it's it's more not more of the same because it's a different character but it felt same-ish samey you're basically playing through same the same levels they're just adapted right so like yeah there's almost a familiarity i have with shovel knight that makes it so yeah i haven't had enough space from it you know whereas with stuff like bayonetta or phoenix wright versus professor layton they've been in my kind of rose-tinted nostalgia it's, yeah it's like one thing that just gets preserved and more and more rose-tinted over yeah. time arguably um which is also with mario kart because it's so present in our minds now it's almost like yeah this game is still a it's, it's like gta 5 isn't it It just like never dies it's just yeah. a current almost modern game yeah it is nintendo's gta 5 for sure yeah exactly um, maybe we'll get leaks on mario kart 9 <laughs> oh god <laughs> but, um, yeah <laughs> Yeah. yeah so yeah i think it, it's interesting my feelings on shovel knight and and like as like indie 2d platformer it has been far surpassed so much by celeste in my mind that I, it's very much like shovel knight is great it's good but like there there's better games in the kind of the indie 2d platform space it's a very mm. different style of platform maybe it's unfair to compare so closely yeah. but it's I don't know, Shovel Knight... It's it's like like the epitome of indie game. Like It's like the first beacon that I think we talked about a lot and was like the the kind of almost iconic Nintendo indie game. Yeah, it's a big deal for our podcast, for sure. Yeah. And the amount we talked about, the amount of hype. And, you know, I think we're both really looking forward to um, Thingamy Hol- the Hollower. Mina the Hollower, yeah. Mina the Hollower, that's the name to remember. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. But I think Shovel Knight just... It's great that they're finally working on a new game... Um, I think I would feel better about Shovel Knight had it not had all the expansions, personally. Yeah, um, potentially. But that, yeah. I, that was, we were very excited for the expansions at the time, but it was, with hindsight now, it's like, yeah, I don't know, just sometimes when, when the game just comes out, does a really great thing, and then goes away, it makes you feel stronger about that game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I personally feel a lot more strongly about Smash Brothers Wii U and Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze than I do about these other three games on my list. Yeah. Um, as much as I think Shovel Knight's maybe better than the other two, but mm-hmm. yeah. Here's I've yeah, got a so... million dollar question, MBZ. Okay, yeah. Where does now that you've played Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze Oh shit, okay, yeah. How do you feel about it on your list? Oh man. If it, if it if it made it at all. Yeah, I oh so I was actually gonna so um there's another game that I played after I think after this year that I don't think came out on Nintendo platforms in twenty fourteen. Maybe I played it so Ollie Ollie is the game I was thinking of of like well if I was to put another game on this list to knock Mario Kart 8 off the bottom it would probably be Ollie Ollie and I'd probably put Ollie Ollie either at number 5 or like a little bit higher than that because I fucking love that game I think it was, mm. it was so good I do think Ollie Ollie World has surpassed both oh, of those yeah, previous games but, um, but um, yeah I think that would have been probably number 5 and if I was to swap uh, later I'd probably swap Layton and Shovel Knight but Tropical Freeze man I I would probably put it above Shovel Knight, you know? Like, um, I think that game is utterly fantastic. Like, it is the best modern platformer that Nintendo have made. It was like the number one game Bally moaned about on the show. Uh And he said, you got to play it. Okay. And I didn't didn't understand. I hadn't seen the light, you know? Uh, (laughs) Because... 
Because I'd played Returns. I'd played Returns on 3DS. And yeah. I was like, yeah, this is a really good, well-made, solid platformer. You know, I enjoyed it a lot. And I thought it was it was hard and challenging, but like it was it was solid. And I was like, yeah, Tropical Freeze just seems like it's more of that. But it, like, it just goes so far beyond that that um, it really elevates it, I think, in a way. So I would say probably I would knock Shovel Knight back a slot and then maybe I just knock Shuffle Knight off and have Ollie Ollie at number five and then Tropical Freeze at number four and Fresolate versus Phoenix. I still probably personally would take Fresolate versus Phoenix right over Tropical Freeze, just my personal taste. Right. But um, but yeah, I would definitely have it. I think I would have it in the top five. It'd probably have to squeeze in there. Because um, Tropical Freeze is a good example of like high budget first party 2D platformer that hasn't been surpassed in my view. And like, yeah. it's that's eight years ago at this point like mm-hmm. that it's and when you think about nintendo they've put out a lot of 2d platformers in that time to be honest i mean yeah. a lot of them are kirby and yoshi of course yes <laughs> which almost like dilutes it down doesn't it right yeah. like it's just like here's another one of these and, uh, and obviously like mario makers maybe a slightly different thing but um yeah i think tropical freeze is still just like the pinnacle of like what you can do with music and level design that like you know that incorporates aspects of the level into the mechanics of how you you get through that level whether it's a falling leave on like an autumnal level or something Mm -hmm. and just it's that is just a bopping experience um in fact i need to replay that game on switch because i have it on switch. yeah you haven't don't you get on that funky mode you know i do not want to play funky mode i'm going vanilla (laughs) ass vanilla thank you very much of course classic Um, of course you do that uh yeah. yeah Uh, if we were to make a joint top list for Ooh, 2014 that's fun what do you think it would be what do you think we would have uh you know let's say i had played Tro- tropical freeze back then um how how do you think we would have ranked it do you think we would have put smash at number one um i think because regardless of how much we talk around all these games mm-hmm. and i think this has happened a few times in our top 50 games of all time lists when we really break down like the high the highs of the highs when it comes to multiplayer online or even local multiplayer with like smash brothers on wii u and ultimate yeah it's like some of the most incredible like moments we've Uh had in gaming and it's not just it's not just oh it's a great fighter this is like a great fighter that we're having with some of our favorite like nintendo characters there's also so much history to it like it's like over the years and years of like playing against each other there's like matchups that like are infamous and you know there's like a there's like almost a meme quality to it like as soon as you as soon as you pick yoshi you know i'm gonna (laughs) fucking groan about it you know like it's just there's like a history and a weight to it that i think is fun and as much as we've grown up and played all the mario karts together it's not the same there's not the same competition because obviously i was a bit better at mario Look, kart. just just say just say you know mbz is shit at mario kart <laughs> and there's not a competition all right that's just let's just get the truth out there but but even even as our skills with mario kart have become slightly more aligned it's still not the same cut and thrust of no. you know smash brothers because because it's a fighter it's a not versus a racer and yeah it's all nintendo characters it's not just a smattering of mm-hmm. nintendo characters and you know it there's something special about smash brothers as much as the single player is pretty rubbish most of the time and as much as we go for like really long periods between drinks as it were between having a great online sesh or a local yeah. sesh but like even when you were around just the other the other week yes. and we were like we got in a few matches it was like this is still just so damn good and i love it yeah. obviously that was smash ultimate but you know this smash 4 is still the bones of ultimate and i think oh yeah ultimate was basically 4.5 in a way it, it, well exactly so i i would vouch for it massively to be number one 
Um, yeah. And then I guess we'd get in a big tussle to get like... Because I've not played Bayonetta 2, we'd probably side with Donkey Kong Country, Tropical Freeze at 2. Yeah, I th- I think Tropical Freeze would probably end up at number 2. Yeah, I think um, so. And then I would let you slide Bayonetta above Shovel Knight if you felt strongly about it, oh, to be yeah, honest. Um, I think so. So I think Shovel Knight would slide to 4. And then 5... Probably Mario Kart through Force of Your Will alone. Uh, I mean, I 5... Mario Kart would be a nice joint game to put at five, but I appreciate you really like Layton, so I wouldn't oh, mind yeah. Mario Kart slipping if you really wanted Layton. Oh, okay, all right. So yeah. I think our list... I've just made this up myself. Sure, yeah. Do, right? <laughs> <laughs> I think our list would be Smash Brothers, then Tropical Freeze, then Bayonetta, then... Sh- Shovel Knight? Shovel Knight, yeah. then Layton? Yeah, I think so. That makes think, sense. Um yeah. Yeah. Also, I think at the time I was much more down on Mario Kart 8. I was like, you know what? Maybe the DLC did come out in 2014. The DLC was fantastic. That first batch of DLC was off the chain. Like the the F-Zero music and levels and they had Mm -hmm. Sight Bike and Animal Crossing. Like it was... and was it? It was much later they introduced 200 CC, so maybe it was still yeah. hot on it before they included well, 200. Yeah, so it makes me think that the DLC was in 2014 because I don't know that I would have put Mario Kart 8 at number five otherwise. I might have found an excuse to put Smash for 3DS on there instead, you know, because I certainly could have really? done that. I'm I'm convinced it did come out a year later, but I yeah. see what you're saying. Um, yeah, that because that DLC is. Is it the best DLC Nintendo's ever done? Like I don't know. I think the yeah. Smash character DLC is pretty outstanding. So well, that's pretty good. I also enjoyed the Breath of the Wild DLC. So maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um God, yeah. It, Torn of Torn of the Golden Country is the best DLC Nintendo's ever done. It's basically a whole twenty-hour JRPG. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's that's in fact the best. Um, but yeah. um, unfortunately, I don't have a list of the number of games I beat in twenty fourteen either because Backlogry thinks I beat three. Oh, <laughs> that's the year I started. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to, we can go through my uh, joint, my basically all games. Yeah, your cross-platform top ten. Let's hear that. Yeah. Hear so that. my number ten was A Bird Story, which was a. Um, it's like a so it's it's part of the to the moon series. To make it clear, this was um, games you played in 2014. You've yes, played games exactly. Since, yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, this was a part of the to the moon series, but it was it was kind of like a short game in between the first and the second. So Finding Paradise was the second game in that series, but A Bird Story was like an interquel. Basically, it was like a brief, short like one hour game that took place in between the first game and the second game basically um it was, it was almost like a setup for the second game narratively um but yeah it was it was the first thing i'd played from kangao since playing to the moon so it definitely hit me pretty hard um and, and really enjoyed that um number nine was hearthstone uh i was like i did not expect to play hearthstone at all and then i got into it through uh, playing on ipad and i started playing it on pc as well and i was like holy shit this game is like it really got me into it and um i i haven't really gone back to hearthstone since and i don't know what the community is like and how things were but hearthstone's a fantastic fucking game that um is a good example of me being outside my comfort zone right like i think this year in particular there were a couple of games that really shook me out of my comfort zone and hearthstone was one of those and yeah i played a lot more of it than i ever really expected to um number eight was the wolf among us which i think is still one of telltale's best games based on the fables comic series which is basically about like you know story te- uh, uh yeah story book storybook characters uh in a uh, kind of modern new york so like 
Snow White and um, you know the the Big Bad Wolf and, and all those kind of characters uh, living in a modern New York. That's what the comic series is based on. But the Telltale game is really good. Like it's it's fantastic, and they're actually bringing it back again. I think there's going to be a second season. Um, so that's that's pretty awesome. Number seven was Mario Kart Eight. Number six was Layton versus Wright. Uh, and number five was Titanfall, which was like the first person shooter that really broke through for me. That was like holy shit, I absolutely love this. Um, that game was so fucking good and. I probably would put it higher, actually, uh, on this list, you know, looking in context of everything else. It probably would go above Shovel Knight, because I actually had Shovel Knight at number three on this list, um, and just below Shovel Knight was Rogue Legacy, which I probably would put above Shovel Knight as well, so um, Shovel Knight, I'm just getting shit on today, I guess. But, um, <laughs> Titanfall, and number four was Rogue Legacy, number three Shovel Knight, and then my number one and two are the same as what uh, I had on my Nintendo list, which uh. is Smash and Bayonetta, um, so... Yeah, there was there was some Nintendo breaking through there, but I don't think it fully broke through to the the top echelons. But yeah, um, yeah, you were still. I know your Nintendo journey uh, started a lot earlier than mine, but mm-hmm. you were still in that phase of like discovery and yes, maybe could I go as far as saying a lot of the Nintendo games weren't breaking into the top echelon for you back then, or yeah, probably maybe just I, not that year, not that year, and I don't know. I think if I'm honest, if you look at my top games over the last decade usually it's either an indie game or a nintendo game that's number one i don't think i've actually had a non-nintendo or non-indie game as number one uh, okay there, there might be one example but it will be a very rare example i don't think i have uh, maybe it takes two counts but that's now nintendo yeah. i guess but um, yeah technically. Um, i've had a lot number two i should say, also say my cross platform didn't start until 2018 but yeah was yeah. there anything in 2014 that came out during that year that you have played since that you would you would add so ollie ollie would be one for me and obviously tropical freeze would yeah, be one that i would add in i didn't love the first ollie ollie uh looking at games that came out that last of us remastered that doesn't really count but yeah you mean nintendo or everything i mean yeah everything basically uh let's call last of us 2013 because 2014 yeah remastered um technically you did play remastered but you know yeah oh that's true that's true i've not played sunset overdrive yet i really want to play that oh shit that absolutely i think that would probably break into my top 10 um i would say sunset overdrive might even be top five like i fucking loved sunset overdrive holy shit but it's like it leans into everything that i like about games it's like movement and just Mm. like it's just the bright colorfulness of it you know like it has like a lot of personality and you know the writing's okay it's like a bit dumb but i think like just the feel of that game is absolutely top notch and probably alongside titanfall too like you can see what i like in those types of games of like titanfall and sunset overdrive being some of my favorites is like all movement i've got two big ones for you actually okay wolfenstein the new order yeah, so I personally the this follow-up game Wolfenstein 2 the the new Colossus is the one I would side with. I think that's like the one that is tremendous. Okay. You didn't play that back in 2014, did you? Uh, the, the new, new order. order no i didn't i played so i basically played the new order right before the new colossus came out so i played them both in the same year okay. and um, new order is really good i definitely recommend playing it but i think the second game the follow-up is where it just goes fucking bananas and is absolutely off the chain like it is one of the wildest single-player campaigns i've ever played and i still strongly recommend you play it Bally. it is okay. so fucking good um so yeah when... but I, I also think it's good to play the first one to get context so yeah did you buy a ps4 in 2015 yes because uncharted 4 came out and i think that's when i got one because infamous second son came out in 2014. yeah i would say that's probably the weakest infamous if i'm honest like i think it's from a visual and like mechanical standpoint very strong but i would say like was it like at launch and a bit shorter 
Yeah, it was a launch game, and so I think it was not quite as... I, I think it was, like, the launch window, so it came out a few months afterwards, maybe. But, um, yeah, it wasn't quite up to... It, like, it had di- more diverse power set, and so you had different abilities and stuff, but I don't think narratively or, like, world-wise it was as fun as the first two games. I think Infamous 2 is still probably the benchmark for that series in terms of everything, but, um, but yeah, I, I still enjoyed it a lot, and I thought it was very good. Um, I also played Shadow of Mordor, which I thought was, like, solid, um but i wouldn't put it in a list i don't think um but that game is is very well made uh, and i I respect it a lot um apparently the game of thrones telltale series also came out this year which i think was probably Mm. the worst telltale series just like incredibly boring and bad um and did not did not like that quite uh, a bit and um yeah and strider as well strider came out in 2014 which is a really good metroidvania um that i might have put on a list as well i think because it's uh it's very kind of action heavy uh, and and fast and has all the pacing stuff that I like from from those types of games. So so yeah. Um, uh, apparently, the original Bravely Default came out in twenty fourteen. Oh nice, yeah. That's one I still want to go back to. I, th- yeah. I need to pick up a physical copy or just get it before the eShop gets nuked completely. Um, the reason I didn't pick it up is because it's like still full price, and I was like, ah, oh, is there going to be any way for me to get this game cheaper? And I'm I'm not sure there is. But of all the Bravely Default games, that sounds like the one that people kind of recommend the most is is the first one still um even if it has some issues with like there's a lot of like looping stuff that goes on that people are annoyed about but yeah. um rayman legends came to ps4 and xbox one i'm i think it was wii u before that yeah it was wii u it was wii u the year before so i wouldn't i wouldn't count that um valiant hearts is a really good one especially because they just announced they're doing another valiant hearts um with netflix right. uh, is going to be on netflix i think uh and you know that was a it was kind of like the end of Ubisoft doing interesting art projects, and then after that they kind of gave up, um, which is a shame because I think Valiant Hearts is a fantastic game, and also you can play that on Switch as well. So, you know, uh, I think it's it's definitely something that our audience would be interested in. But yeah, I think twenty fourteen was a pretty weak year. You know, Dragon Age Inquisition mm. was the thing that was winning all the awards. Basically, I remember going around to yours. I think it was that year, and I think you played it when it came out. Uh, Walking Dead season two. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, season one is The Walking Dead that really meant a lot to me. I think mm. season two is totally fine and passable, but not great, basically. Okay. Um, yeah. I enjoyed season really one a lot, it. actually. Yeah. yeah, season one's fantastic. Um, but yeah, season two, not quite nailing it for me. But yeah, I think um, I think that's a good kind of rundown of, of that year. And I think, yeah, it was pretty... I, generally the, the games industry was like this is a terrible year for games and then as nintendo people were like what the fuck are you talking about like smash brothers and mario kart and donkey kong and like shovel knight like we've been waiting years for these games yeah like it was a really strong year for wii u and 3ds and um i gotta remember tropical freeze was a huge like disappointment when it was revealed at e3 in twenty. dude GameSpot gave tropical freeze a six out of ten when they reviewed it like can you fucking believe that shit like i i don't know man it's actually pretty wild to me um that 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 happened because like if you play that game if you like even have any brief amount of time with hands on sticks like you can instantly tell that this is this is a a very very good game Mm, Um, and i do think that played into it right i do think the idea that retro is like oh they're not doing metro they're doing another donkey kong game i guess um and yeah it really it really does a disservice to what a tremendous game that is um but yeah yeah GameSpot gave it six did right really random did you ever watch or play the last of us dlc i did yeah i watched so watched um it. it was in 2013 that i watched this was when i was getting a bit more into like you know nintendo Story, games nintendo stuff yeah but I, I didn't play them so i watched playthroughs of both the last of us and bioshock infinite 
um mm. and yeah those were games that i had context for for giant bombs game of the year which was nice but i didn't have to play them myself because they were too scary for me to play um <laughs> so yeah both bioshock infinite and last of us were both two big story games that i watched let's plays of and then i watched the next year i watched when left behind came out i watched the playthrough of that i i played yeah. left behind just before last of us part two came out and it was very very good yeah it's a really good dlc that's obviously a dlc and then finally forza horizon 2 i don't know oh, how okay. i'm ever going to access that game but yeah. i would have loved to have played that in 2014 but there you go yeah there you go and i've played the whole of the master chief collection since so i guess you can mention that <laughs> yeah totally yeah absolutely um, i don't Doesn't think count. any i don't think any halo game came out in 2014 I unless it was halo not, 4 no. i don't know when halo 4 came out so I can't remember. no idea um but yeah uh that's uh that's a good kind of rundown of our games of the year and kind of looking back on them 2014 i think we'll make this a bit of a regular segment Bally, where we go back for yeah let us know what you think of it because we've got yeah. a lot of game of the year lists we want to go through because it's, it's a good time yeah and things evolved obviously throughout the the years and i'm sure we'll get more in depth yeah. and stuff as we go along but, but so. as a year generally like i'm impressed like our tastes on those games haven't changed a ton perhaps as i yeah. think some other games on other lists we're going to be like what were we thinking uh-huh, <laughs> and, sure. you know, so yeah, yeah. it's interesting 2014 the, the longest ago we're actually similar tastes now um so yeah. yeah definitely and i'm so glad you've now played tropical freeze oh yeah totally um and it deserves to be high on any 2014 list you know um so um yeah very 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 good uh, and some good stuff and now we just need to wait for you to play bayonet too yeah. bally so uh, we'll, we'll see it. how that goes and we'll uh, have to I check don't... in again on the check-in yeah i guess so yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, i don't have high hopes but we'll see, we'll see how <laughs> you feel um anyway uh, i think that is going to close us out for today's podcast i thank you everybody for listening and for joining us on this episode uh, we've talked about a lot of stuff uh, and you can go and find us all over the internet in lots of different places uh, but if you'd like to support us directly and give us some money because uh, you're nice people then you can go to patreon.com slash this nintendo life bali we'd like to thank some of our patrons yes thank you to our ten dollar tier patrons they are zach s atari alex thomas matthew albert and wicked gamer uk alan thank you all for your ten dollar tier support but thank you to all of our other patrons we hugely appreciate the support to give the show um, absolutely and to shout out our patreon shows we have two extra patreon shows for patrons uh we have for one dollar tier you can listen to our our show this non-tendo life that's a monthly show where we talk about everything non-tendo happening we just did our immortality spoiler cast but, but we talked about a bunch of other stuff as mm-hmm. well yep um and then obviously for two dollars uh every t- every so on the tuesday after every show that the every day of the regular show so it comes out on a monday bonus bits comes out on tuesday uh, we talk about all sorts of things. TV, I think we're going to talk about the, these GTA leaks this time, mm-hmm. you know, so check that out as well. Absolutely. The Queen dying, fun things, you know. Queen dying. Uh, <laughs> politics, <laughs> uh, get into it. So yeah, uh, you can check all that stuff out. You can also find us on the internet, on Twitter. I am at LordNBZ. Where can they find you, Bally? I am on Twitter at Ballyman91. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. And you can also find the podcast Twitter at TNL Podcast, uh, where we'll tweet out things about the show and other stuff going on. Uh, so keep an eye on that if you want to know what is happening. Um, you can also find us in various podcatching apps. Uh, you can go to Spotify and find us there. You can find us on Stitcher. You can go to uh, your uh, device of choice and search for us, uh, This Nintendo Life. Subscribe to us, uh, and we should be there for your perusal. And of course, if you would like to review us, you can head over to Spotify uh, on your phone and uh, give us a star rating, and that would be very much appreciated. Uh, so go ahead and do that uh, and also if you want to do an itunes review i guess you can still do that um 
but I don't know. I don't know how many people are still doing those these days as people shift away from Apple, I guess, uh, in favor of other podcasting apps. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure there's still a lot of people using the regular Apple podcasting app. So um, if you are able to give us a review over on Apple Podcasts, that would be highly appreciated as well. It's been probably a, a long time, I think, since anyone's done that. But um, if you want to do that, then you certainly can go ahead and do it and we would highly appreciate it. So you can do that as well. Um and yeah, I think that's pretty much it. Um, we, uh, yeah, I, I actually, Bally, um, you know, you, you sent me, you're like, oh, I, I got my email for my play date. I was like, mm-hmm. sweet. I also have one. Maybe we'll get it this month. Mm-hmm. And then also I got an email saying my Steam Deck is coming. Ooh. So so if I get a play date and a Steam Deck on the same day, it will be, uh, that will be very funny. Because like, one of those I ordered like a year and a half ago. Uh, and it was like one of the first people to order it and the steam deck i ordered maybe like three weeks ago and it's already coming so i think valve is more on top of their shit i would say than panic are uh, at this point in time uh, which makes yeah. sense we got so screwed on that play date thing by being in the uk my god it's so fucking screwed oh. Uh, oh my god but what are you gonna do um we'll get it eventually and we'll be cranking we'll be cranking, cranking. Uh, so looking forward to cranking <laughs> it uh with the play date uh, i'm sure we'll talk about that when that happens but until then thanks everybody for listening and we'll be back very soon bye-bye folks interludes used on today's show were calamari incantation 3 mix from splatoon 3 copyright nintendo 2022 and foliana heights from tinykin copyright splash team 2022